I want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the wind and I just couldn't resist it. doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, full hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined as ever by Sean Coletti. Sean, how's it going? Not too shabby. Good week? Good week in TV? Uh, yeah, again, like, the, the genre stuff is really kicking ass, so fans have a lot to be excited about. Yeah, we're going to be talking quite a bit uh, about genre this week, as well as comedy and drama. There's lots of TV, but particularly we're diving in deep with the, with the genre this week, and... Um, it should be a lot of fun. At the end of the show, we're talking with Sonia Soraya and uh, and Noel Kirkpatrick. Sonia, of course, from the AV Club and Noel from TV.com about The Good Wife. Sean, you, in a departure for the television, you set this one out. I did. I, To my shame, I'm not caught up, but eventually, I promise. <laughs> yeah, so so we'll t- have that at the end of the podcast. That's instead of the DVD shelf. It was a lot of fun, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. That'll be at the end of the show, and uh, before we get there, though, we had a lot of fun talking with you guys this week on Twitter, and we heard from Gary. He talked a little bit about Selfie, which I thought was maybe a nice way to transition us into a little bit more upfront talk. Uh, of course, Selfie is the new comedy. It's based on Pygmalion or My Fair Lady. It's going to star uh, Karen Gillan and John Cho, as well as others, but they have Karen Gillan not using her actual accent, using an American accent, and it's just the, I don't understand. I <laughs> Why don't they trust that Americans are able to watch a show about somebody who isn't an American? Because we hate everything that's not American. Oh, God. It's, it's like they're doing that Broadchurch remake and they cast David Tennant and they have him doing an American accent. It's like, why? What, let, the, let the man be Scottish. I just don't know why you do a remake and cast the same actor. That whole thing confuses me. It's very confusing. Um, anyway, so any other thoughts on the upfront, uh, the rest of it? We talked a little bit about it last week. It got a few of the different uh, networks' new schedules and uh, the promising new shows. The the big promising new show for me, and I was already a little bit excited about it, was The Flash. The, that is one hell of a trailer. I, <laughs> it's, it's a masterwork. It's like a masterclass in how to cut a trailer and... Anybody who has seen that and is not excited about it is crazy. Yeah, and and obviously a good trailer does not necessarily mean a good pilot or a good show and vice versa. So it may be completely misleading, but what what I really appreciate about it is the tone of it. They seem to be very similarly to how Buffy and Angel are in the same universe but and, and feature some of the same characters but have very different tones. To me, it feels like from this trailer, The Flash will tie in much more fully with that uh, that that Barry Allen kind of uh, peppy personality. Or he's a different, very different person. He doesn't have as much of the tortured past as uh, as your Oliver Queen does. Uh, but I mean, there's a little bit of that. But anyways, it seems like it's gonna be a, a totally distinct show, and I really appreciate that. That's that's gonna be the most surprising aspect for me because. A big reason why I've really liked Arrow is how grounded in reality it is and how it does that well a lot of the time. And so to have somebody with legitimate superpowers interacting in that world, um, it'll change things a little bit. So we'll see. We'll see. Any other thoughts on the rest of the upfronts? 
and uh, the rest of the new fall schedules? Uh, after The Flash, Gotham's probably the only other thing that I'm actually excited about. I watched all 11 of those ABC trailers in one sitting, and I didn't like a single one of them, <laughs> which follows on from a, a not very good year for ABC from the 2013-2014 one. So, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, probably my favorite comedy block, and I'm not a huge fan of The Big Bang Theory, but I'm very, very glad that it'll be opening up for Mom for, I think, the first few weeks. And Mom needs to be watched by more people because that is a very fine CBS uh, sitcom. There's going to be some, I would imagine, some shifting in the first few weeks of of the season as to like where everything is. But for now, I think a lot of the pairings make sense. Some of, some of them less so. But in general, I think it makes sense. And it'll... I, 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 the only trailers that I've watched are that Flash trailer, Selfie, and Gotham. Because I just avoid trailers because they are usually so misleading. But uh, I look forward to catching up with some of these pilots over the summer and uh, in the fall. And we'll have our fall preview in, in August and really dive into what the various nights are and what the, you know, what, what, what viewers can expect. But for now, let's, let's move on. We see, we talked with uh, Carl a little bit who offered to put together a board game for the Hannibal drinking game or the podcast drinking game. So, so that's pretty entertaining. And he wants Allison's the, the entirety of blood ties, Allison's play from Orphan Black to be on the season two DVDs, which I think you're not the only one, Carl. I think other people would support that. Uh, Brian wanted to know if we were going to talk about utopia, black box, love, hate, secret state, and South so just a few Channel 4 shows there. <laughs> those those first three are definitely going to be talked about at some point because those were answers to like what I need to watch. So uh, after all of these finales are done, Finale Palooza, we'll start getting to those. Yeah, we will. We, we do promise we'll have a mega make uh, Sean and Kate watch session, and we'll do talk a little bit about those then. Uh, talked a little Adventure Time with Kyle. Uh, I caught up with all of season one of Adventure Time this last week and loved it. So every and apparently I've been told by Kyle and some others that season one is definitely the worst season. So that has me very excited to catch up with two, three, and four. Uh, Shan and Isa and I talked some Arrow. Uh, Talked to the Fargo and the Americans. I, did you notice this? Basically, everybody who has screeners for Fargo and the Americans was talking about it on Twitter last week. I I did not know. Yeah, it's be excited, people. I'll talk about that a little bit in the drama section, though. Uh, talked a little bit of Stars with Mario, Elementary with Miles and Zach, Orphan Black with Swedge, Greg, Wine and Pop, uh, Eric, Amanda, Isandra, Zhao, uh, Mar Mario, Alan, and Noel. Noel and I both took a witch. Uh, Orphan Black, Clone Are You. I got Allison. Noel got Beth. He was very confused. Like, how is that even an option? But hey, you know, Beth is cool. <laughs> Beth is cool. I talked Hannibal with Noel, uh, Christopher, Julius, Mario, uh, Alicia, Joao, and Life on the Swing Set. Talked Good Wife with Eric, Alicia, Noel, and Corey, and uh, plenty of more that I'm sure I have forgotten. Um, any, any interactions particularly notable you want to discuss? Uh, I'm very happy that a couple people are talking about In the Flesh. Uh, I, I didn't write down the names, unfortunately, but we we need to get more people on that, that bandwagon. 
Definitely, definitely we do. Well, at Sound On Sight, we are still continuing our Why You Should Be Watching Month. It's it's slowed down a little bit, uh, basically because I have a list of like five or six shows that I want to write up and I haven't been able to yet. Uh, but I'm hopeful that I will get a few articles out on this theme by the end of the month. You can you know keep following that at Sound On Sight as well as uh, our, our reviews for different things. And uh, this week you came on as well as, of course, we have our Hannibal podcast. This is our design with a special guest. If we just want to plug this a little bit here. Vincenzo Natali, the director of uh, Cube and Splice, and of course two episodes from from this season of Hannibal. So that was super cool. So you guys can listen to that. It's in your Televerse feed already. And then this week, uh, Sean, you also came on the Game of Thrones podcast. Yes. So <laughs> three podcasts, which is not unusual for you, but it's unusual for me. It's a, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But it was fun too. So so we will of course not really be talking about Hannibal and Game of Thrones this week in genre. Because there are entire separate hour-long podcasts you guys can listen to if you want to hear our thoughts on those shows. But that being said, we should get going because there's a lot of TV. So uh, we'll take a break and come back with our week in comedy. There's urine on your onesie and there's spit up on your kid. But I love you. I love you. Some unknown viscous substance cakes the mattress in your crib. And I love you. I love you. The solids and the liquids and the gases you let loose are what some massive chemical explosion might produce. You do it all the time and never offer an excuse. But I love you. I love you. This week in comedy, we'll just say a few thoughts on the Maya Rudolph show and then the legit series finale aired this week, as well as Inside Amy Schumer, the Bob's Burgers finale, World War II, The Warfening, or How Bob Saves Slash Destroys the Town Part 2. Lengthy title, but, you know, an entertaining one. Silicon Valley, Proof of Concept, Veep, Special Relationship, and Louie, Elevator Part 2 and Part 3. So let's kick things off with the Maya Rudolph show pilot. And this is this is Maya Rudolph's variety show. And I actually really enjoy the concept of a variety show. I'm always entertained by how many um, comedians who have you know, really wanted to do a variety show. Maya Rudolph clearly is one, but NPH. There's, there's a bunch of comedians out there or, or actors who really have a strong affinity for that format. If this is that format, then I don't want to see variety shows because this this pilot really did not work for me. Ditto. Like there, I don't think that there was a single moment where I laughed out loud. And in theory, just seeing Sean Hayes sing and dance or seeing Chris Parnell be the host of a game show, fictional or otherwise, those things should be very entertaining. But it was so bland and not funny. Well, and it. I, and this is again. This is for me. I love music. I love singing. I love I love funny songs. But the first like four things in a row, other than the Garmin sketch, are all singing. They're all songs, and they're not particularly creative, and they're not particularly entertaining. So it's like I get you want to do a song, okay? I guess we're we're bringing bringing back that office joke about D's nuts, but <laughs> that that was enough to make an entire couple minute long song really who thought that was a good idea i and the one that was like so extremely out of place was the the two rich people and and john was their bellboy or, or worker or whatever and i don't know like i don't know what she's going i guess she mentioned at the top of the hour that it's supposed to be like a, a quirky kind of uh variety show so it didn't necessarily have to make sense but i, I just felt really lost a lot of the times 
Yeah, and I guess what this just highlights for me is that it, it's really hard. It's a really hard format to do well, and, and comedic songs in particular, as far as I'm concerned, are very difficult to, to really have them work and to not go on too long. It's easy for them to go on too long, and pretty much all of these musical numbers, for me, and the skits, the skits too, went on too long. Agreed. I mean, I, I don't want to just keep slating it, because... I don't know. I, I, I do think Maya Rudolph is super talented and great and should have her own show. I just... this format at least with these writers is not one i'm interested in seeing more of yeah I, this, this is supposed to be kind of just a, a litmus test right and if, if people liked it then it get picked up so they, if they want to do it they'll have to reevaluate the approach i think or at least some of the material like you said the writers need something different well, let's move on to our next show, and that's the legit series finale. I have not caught up with the show since watching the first, uh, I think it was four or five episodes. And I, by the end of, of the screener that they sent, uh, sent me, basically, I was actually very much enjoying the show. I just haven't made time to sit down and watch the rest of it. It did not get picked up, so it has been canceled. This is the series finale. What did you think of legit, this, both this finale and then how the, the season or the series has progressed? Uh, in the screeners that you saw, did they get to the the high school reunion episode? Yes, and that was okay. the that was the one that changed everything for me. Yeah, that that was a fantastic episode of TV. Uh, since then, it it kind of dropped off a little bit for a few episodes, but in these last few, it it picked up quite a bit. It just how much more earnest uh, Jim's writing became in terms of the the themes that he was dealing with. So. Like, Steve, the character, like, really went through a lot of crap that had to do with alcoholism and addiction, and they tackled that extremely well. Um, and it was also rather hopeful and optimistic and heartwarming in some places where Billy kind of gets uh, feeling back in his fingers. And so that becomes a really engaging arc. And then Jim in this last two-parter, uh, the last two episodes aired back-to-back, -back, um, Jim gets shot and kind of starts questioning his career as a stand-up comedian because this was all the result of basically having an opinion on gun control during a stand-up routine. Um, and so it didn't get nearly as dark as something like Wilfred does, um, but it it widened its its breadth, I think, by so much that that I guess I was just kind of like, I hadn't written off the first season of Legit, but it was basically something that I, I didn't really care about. So very much like a laundry folding show, not something that I would get to like on the week. And I don't necessarily, uh, I didn't necessarily watch Legit episodes as they aired this year, but I was much more curious to see where they were going because Jim had a lot more creative ideas. And so it's a real shame that it got canceled at this point. It got canceled simultaneous to, to Chosen, and I think that that was a good decision because Chosen didn't really pick up at any point, um, but but legit really found its groove. So I guess that's just how things go, even on FXX. But uh, anybody who watched it, I'm, I'm sure, like who stuck with it for the first two seasons, must have been satisfied with how this season ended. I'm glad to hear it. That might be something that I make time for over the summer because I did so very much appreciate that shift in perspective by that high school reunion episode so it sounds like the rest of the season followed through on that that's i'm glad to hear at least if it's gonna go out um of course we said this is the jim jeffries comedy if, if it's gonna go out at least it goes out well and with people having 
seeing more sides of Jim Jeffries as a writer and as a comedian. Yeah, the the girl from that reunion episode that he hooks up with comes back in these last few episodes, and and that becomes a big deal. Oh, see, now now I'm going to have to watch it. Okay, Uh, I wanted to just quickly mention that Inside Amy Schumer, last week I I had a little bit of a complaint about the quality, uh, having a downturn, and then I liked this episode a lot more, so I instantly felt like a a jerk. So, Inside Amy Schumer is back in in my good graces, I'm sure it cares. Um, (laughs) But let's talk about the Bob's Burgers finale. I'm not going to repeat the ridiculously long title. How did this episode work for you as a part two, as well as as a finale to this season? Uh, fine. Not, you know, groundbreaking or anything. This should have been probably a better two-parter than it was just because it, it drew attention to that. This is something that Bob's hasn't really done, um, putting its its finale on this kind of epic level. But I don't know. I always find that the more surreal or creative the, the Bob's Burger episodes' conceits are, the more that I like them. And this was much more an action piece, I guess. And, and that was fine, but it, it wasn't as funny as the, the better Bob's Burger stuff is, which to me, it's not necessary, but it, this one didn't really stand out. I think that the, the mystery or the, the suspense element of it actually did work surprisingly well, considering we know they're not going to kill Bob off of Bob's burgers, but you know, the text messaging and trying to figure it, I thought that really worked for me as for the rest of it. I, that song could have just not been in. That was just a waste of several minutes where they could have been being funny. If you're going to have a song like this, it needs to change something. It needs to have a, a narrative or a plot purpose or a character purpose or, you know, it needs to be really funny, and it was none of those. So I know a lot of people did like that, but apparently I'm just, you know, hypercritical about that stuff. Uh, as for the, you know, the season, it's, I've liked the season, but Bob's used to be appointment viewing for me, and now it's make sure that I remember to watch it before the podcast viewing, which is, I mean, Sundays are very crowded, so that doesn't help. But I'm hoping that they'll have some new creative energy, you know, during the hiatus. They'll sort of have some new things they can play with and go to, um, and that would make me happy, I suppose. Yeah, just because we've seen Bob's Burgers be one of the best comedies on the networks for stretches, like quite long stretches, especially in season three, and. Unfortunately, that, that sets expectations. This is a really talented writing team. And uh, the duo who wrote this one, um, they've done a lot of my favorite episodes of Bob's Burgers. And so I was kind of surprised that this one didn't really click as much. But, you know, there were there were moments that, that really shine. Fish owner just kind of not really caring at first that he's going to die until he, like, actually realizes that his brother's gone through with it. Um, that That was funny, but... It just lacks some of that creative energy, I think. Also funny, Jordan Peele is Tammy, which I, I could I, I couldn't place the voice, and then I looked at the credits and felt like an idiot. Because I mean, it's Tammy. It's a, it it's just straight up Tammy from Key yeah. and Peele, and that is wonderful. So that was a very very nice little touch. Uh, next up is Silicon Valley, proof of concept. Now I've seen this one and I've seen the finale. I'll just say that the finale I think works really well as a finale to the season and. And uh, has me excited about what they'll do next year. Christopher Evan Welch, of course, his his death will very much shape what they're able to do in in the next season. And um, 
he's not in the finale just so people aren't expecting that but um but i thought this episode was was very good i, I liked uh you know the 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 one of the sore spots for me with the show has been its lack of gender anything approaching equality there's there've been very few female characters on the show and uh basically just the one and she's she's been business savvy but just not very involved in the tech world that's something i would like to see them address next year and so when they bring in that element in this episode at least there was some some representation i'm not quite sure how i feel about it though uh what did you know cuz the one female character they bring in sucks at coding so it's it's disappointing uh, what did you think about this episode uh solid i'm i think that the battleground uh served as a good structure for that um when they have that kind of overarching thing going on then it tends to help out a lot of the subplots were funny uh code gay just, that yeah, that, <laughs> that really works being, being gay for guildfoil's code absolutely um also just seeing zach wood's character jared his eyes are just bloodshot after spending four days on the the island of machines and and then to see him bat away the one that's flying around because he's clearly terrified now um, but he can't do it like as somebody else would in that circumstance because he's so polite that was hilarious yeah there's a there's a lot to like here and um i look for it's been a really strong freshman season for a comedy most comedies take quite a while to find their footing and there was some of that in this season of of uh, Silicon Valley, but really it congealed pretty well by episode four, episode five. Yeah. Well, uh, next up is Veep Special Relationship, and my review of this episode is up at the AV Club. I like this one quite a bit, uh, and and I liked it more the more I thought about it, which is something I always appreciate. What stood out to you about this episode of Veep? Dan's breakdown. <laughs> pretty just fantastic. To him, just to see him go crazy and then lose... Uh, the title of campaign manager to, to Amy. The more I've been watching this season, the more I realize like I really hate the person that Amy is. Like she's she's so so cold. I can't imagine ever getting along with somebody like that in real life. Well, see, that's the thing. They're all kind of terrible in a different way, which doesn't mean that they're not entertaining or that they aren't real. That like that's not a real kind of person who exists. Uh, I liked her little happy dance at the end. It felt so true you know felt, we've all had that moment usually not inspired by you know the kind of betrayal that she does in this episode hopefully um but it was a very humanizing moment i also i mean for me the highlight this episode was dan's breakdown was great don't get me wrong but the highlight had to be um mike and gary when mike gets put in charge yes oh my god yeah he's he's terrible as well um <laughs> Just, and, and then and then then uh, Selena comes back and just I mean, that was it was great. I loved it. There there were some good uh, liter literary allusions as well. I guess they felt that you know because this was set in in London that it would be appropriate for that. So just having Mike say wasn't it Oscar Wilde who said Dan's a fucking terrible campaign manager. <laughs> yeah, and the My Fair Lady stuff was great. I loved the uh, the kind of costume call back to my fair lady that we get with that ridiculous hat. Oh my God. Uh, Chris Maloney has been a lot of fun on the show and uh, this wraps up theoretically his time there, but you know, what a great use of, of that actor. And I know that you're disappointed that surviving Jack got canceled and, but at least he, you know, maybe will show up on some more of these comedies in uh, guest roles. Cause clearly he's 
very talented. For those who hadn't seen him on, you know, Wet Hot American Summer, Scrubs, some of these other places where he did fantastic guest turns. Just have him do push-ups and everything. Yep, yep, that sounds good. Any other thoughts on Veep, or shall we move on? Uh, solid. Let's move on. Um, next up is Louie Part 2 and Part 3. Elevator Part 2 and Part 3, that is. And uh, this, it, it's... It's not as as specifically dramatically tied together the way that the three-parter about the Tonight Show was last season, but there are definitely are some uh, there definitely are some ties. I think the biggest tie is going to be obviously Amya, but also Jane, and I'm glad to see that continue this week. That I'm really worried about Jane, and I think that's exactly what he's going for. Yeah, she is having problems that aren't entirely being addressed on screen just yet. So I feel like that's we're just getting the beginnings of that, which is kind of scary. Uh, she's been fantastic. Is that Ursula Parker? Is that her name? Yes. She's killing it. Like she's a very, very good young actress. Um, so that's been really enjoyable to, to me. The one that stood out was getting Pam back, and that was heartbreaking to see what was going on there between the two of them when they're getting coffee. Um, Louie is like clearly hurt permanently by what did not happen there. Well, and her treatment of him in in this episode and before, she's obviously really raw as well. Um, And so she's doing a lot of, um, she's trying to save face and uh, she's clearly very hurt based on how things went down with her ex. Um, But in, in very in need, she just, this is how she shows it. In, in a very abrasive kind of way. But um, no, I thought that was a very, that was a tough scene to watch in a very honest way. And knowing that after Elevator comes Pamela has me very curious for for if, if things are going to mend between now and then and then we're going to get a really happy, positive um, multiple episode arc at the end of the season with Pamela or if it's going to be more of this. It's weird how a show that really was not serialized to any degree to begin with has begun to to take on some at least semi-permanent characteristics. I mean, this has been the same wife that we've seen in the past season. Uh, we get his brother back. We have Pam back. And now they're, they're drawing on previous Louis episodes in a way that I'm not sure how I feel. I really like Louis as kind of the the short story format and, and just to do it that way. Um, so I'm, I'm not disappointed by any of these episodes so far. I think the elevator sequence has been really working, but I don't know that that's going to take up the majority of the season. So, yeah, well, there's so much in this as well about communication. And I think I, I know some people are, are not particularly happy that we're getting this, um, this romance between Louie and somebody who doesn't speak English. And he seems particularly seems to be very uh, enamored of the fact that she doesn't speak English or, you know, it's like very cute to him as opposed to, you know, a concern because I should care what my partner is saying kind of thing. Uh, But for me, it's really working because so much of it is about communication. And I love that Louie just kind of assumes that he knows what she means when he doesn't have any idea, but he's just continually projecting himself and uh, his fears onto onto her, much like in that that wonderful but kind of difficult scene with Louis and the girl's mother, 
uh, it's the exact same thing where they're both projecting their issues onto each other and onto the kids. At least they're, Louis seems aware of it then. Um, so if, if this becomes more of an exploration of communication and uh, on respect, then I'll be extra happy because I, I really appreciate a show like Louis tackling these issues. Um, the other part of, that I have to mention is, that of course, I loved the jam session. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Stunning in an already kind of stunning sequence of moments that have happened in this season. Like, that's up there. And you know what? Those are two people who actually can play the violin playing the violin. Other shows. If you want to have somebody playing the violin, hire somebody who can play the freaking violin. <laughs> it's not that hard. There are more of them out there than you would realize. Come on. Sorry. I, Pet peeve. No, no, that, that's fine. I, we needed a violin rant. Um, and just <laughs> to, to add to what you said, yeah, I think that the Omnia not speaking English or not being a native speaker is the aspect that's working most for me about that relationship. So uh, I've been very satisfied with that. Any other thoughts on Louis or uh, shall we continue on? Let's plow through it. Okay. What wins your week in comedy? Louis? Uh, yeah. Well, okay. We'll give the Louis award to Louis. Uh, runner up would be legit. Definitely. Okay. And uh, Louis award to Louis and runner up will be Veep for me though. Um, Silicon Valley might nab it next week. We'll see. I haven't seen the next Veep, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, now we'll take a break, and I'll come back with a few thoughts on reality before we move on to genre. This week in reality, I'm bringing back the segment for one brief uh, se brief show talk because it's the, the end of The Amazing Race All-Stars, and I have to congratulate listener Bob Phelan for, uh, for winning the pool quite handily, over 100 points. I think I was sitting in 70-something in, like, 6th or 7th place, so uh, there are many... <laughs> Many listeners who were in the pool who got a bunch of points in this last episode. I'm sure nobody was surprised that Dave and Connor won. Uh, I was going to throw all my points to somebody else just in case because everybody else had already picked Dave and Connor, but I just I couldn't because we we all knew they were going to win. And there are worse people who could have won, I suppose. Um, it just was not the most uh, engaging final three, and particularly at, at the point where they seemed to be giving everybody the bitch edit. I was like. Aren't, aren't I supposed to be rooting for somebody amongst these people? I mean, I was I was a little underwhelmed by the way that the this last bit was stru was structured, particularly the fact that they didn't do any sort of a puzzle challenge at the end. I guess that 
David Copperfield thing. It was supposed to be a puzzle challenge. I don't know. Um, I, I've been frustrated with the number of catch-ups that this season has had. It hasn't let anybody build up any kind of a lead, and that is frustrating to me. I, I'd like to reward consistency on this show um, over luck, and if you get the, the if you had gotten the wrong taxi driver this this week, you were completely out of it, and that. That sh- I feel like that shouldn't be the case on this show. But, the, you know, that's just my, my personal take on it. Um, the the Amazing Race will be moving to Fridays in the fall. I don't know if we're going to continue the pool because it's it's I enjoy doing the pool. But if my co-host, either you or, or Simon, isn't watching, then we don't really get to talk about it. And so it feels kind of weird. So uh, I'm kind of up in the air. If you have an opinion on that, let me know. The Televerse at gmail.com. And uh, I will decide. But for, as for now... Uh, Dan, Bob, your your prize, which is the twenty five dollar Amazon gift card, as well as the the traveling gnome, will be in the mail soon. And uh, congratulations on a pool well won. Woo! So now we'll take a quick break and come back with our week in genre. in genre i'm going to preview labyrinth and <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about the grim finale blonde ambition as well as uh, uh marvel's agents of shield finale beginning of the end the arrow finale unthinkable and uh then we'll talk a little uh orphan black ipsa scientia potestis est uh in the flesh episode two and uh penny dreadful seance so first uh let me just preview labyrinth this is a mini series that's being aired on the cw it aired in the uk last year uh and it's just it's not very it's not very good it's about uh it's based on a, a novel that sold very well uh, and it's there are a group of cathars it goes back and forth between uh the 1200s and the you know modern time and it involves reincarnation and there's love triangles and it has way too good of a cast like a freakishly good cast for the material they're given uh, unsurprisingly every scene with john hurt is way better than everything surrounding it um, but there's there's like three of those, so you know there's only so much that uh, he can do to, to elevate this. But no, it's really it's not good. It's not very good, guys. Um, <laughs> if you're like I, you know I I want rain, but with uh, but without the nuance, <laughs> then go for go for labyrinth. Um, I would just skip it. It's airing this week. There are two episodes that are two parts that are airing back to back. I watched the first one and then I kind of fast forwarded through the second one to get a plot synopsis because I couldn't find that online. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wanted to know what happened somewhat, but not enough that I would actually watch the second installment. So I, you can skip labyrinth as far as I'm concerned. The fact that you just intimated that rain has nuance makes me a very happy person. Now this is a comparative 
Okay. Uh, it's been a while. I Maybe it developed nuance. I'll be talking rain at some point. But uh, let's move on. The Grim Finale aired. My review's up at Sound on Sight. There's a lot that I, I feel like this episode does right. Or I should say there's several things that I feel like it does right. Um, Monroe and Rosalie is one. The, that family is another. Getting rid of that hideous dress is a big one for me. Um, but I really was disappointed by their handling of Adeline and uh, just removing any nuance from that character until the very end. It just felt like a cheat and it felt, uh, it was very disappointing that element, but there was a lot that I did enjoy. You can check out my review at sound on site. Let's move on to the agents of shield finale beginning of the end. I actually watched every episode this season and I don't think I completely regret it. Not completely. No, I don't think I regret it, which is, you know, I watched way too much of ringer before I gave up on it. I watched way too much of cults before I gave up on it. I'm willing to go with one of these shows if I feel like there's promise uh, as long as they start, you know, developing it. And that's what I think happened with S.H.I.E.L.D. I thought there was promise uh, and, and, you know, things that I enjoyed about the early part of the season. And then, fortunately, it did eventually start getting its shit together. And by the end, I feel like it's a, you know, a likable kind of show that I can go with. That it's, The reason that you probably don't regret it is because I think if anybody kind of tuned in towards the end here and saw that it was perfectly fine. Not, not amazing, certainly, but just a decently fun show. Um, there's, there's a drastic effect, I think, falling from the beginning, which was not good. Like I had to like force myself to watch some of those episodes. Um, and I was really just doing it with my brother because he's the comic book guy. And so we were trying to get into it and it was difficult. And then it really did take a kind of remarkable jump. Again, not to the, the point where like it was as good as Sleepy Hollow or anything from from that class, but it was fun, you know. They got Patton Oswalt on there, and that was a great turn. And I don't care how they did it; I'm so glad that they found a reason to bring him back. Was that like, what you were talking about in that tweet? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I saw because Sean tweeted something about how he loved one thing that the finale did, and. Uh, I was like, okay, so I was watching the episode trying to to figure out what that would have been because any I felt like the things that I liked about the finale weren't wouldn't have been like small details would have been progressed and then we get to the very last scene I was like, oh yeah, I'm I'm so with you on that one. <laughs> um, what else? I think that the decision to make Ward an antagonist was a really smart one. Like, he's not a bad actor, but on the team. He didn't really have much much of a function, and already Agent Trip Triple um, has been a lot more fun. And to have Ward in that role, I think that he was having a lot more fun on screen. So I think that that definitely worked alongside Bill Paxton's character. Yeah, Ward added nothing. He was bland, and um, that you don't know if that's the actor or the writing or or what, but it wasn't working. It was adding nothing to the show besides look at somebody punch stuff good. And there are a lot of people who can punch stuff good. Um, May was far more interesting in the punch stuff good, you know, realm of things. And I actually think their fight scene, like a lot of people have said, their fight scene in this finale was really good and was very exciting and energetic. If there wasn't another little show called Arrow on, it might have been, you know, the best fight scene of the week. Of course, it got destroyed by Arrow. We'll talk about that next. But, um... Yeah, but but Triplet is already more engaging, and he already works better. The main thing for me with Ward, I thought that worked in the way that they just basically showed that he was a weak personality. He was just dom dominated by by this other man who 
just was psycho. So it just happened that he was, you know, and he, he was so dominated by that other personality that he wasn't able to find the father figure that he actually really needed in Coulson. And he wasn't able to, you know, to separate those things out. I mean, he was already lost by the time that the show started. That was not going to change, you find out. And as long as they don't try to, you know, fix that character and rehabilitate him, I am a-okay with that arc over the course of the season. If they try to bring that actor and that character back next year for more than one or two episodes, I'm going to be really disappointed. I... I'm 90% sure you're going to be really disappointed. Like, yeah, so am I. <laughs> feels like that's what's going to happen. Um, seeing Samuel Jackson was fun. I don't really think that, that Nick Fury was much of a presence in this episode. I don't think that Jackson was like actively trying in that, in that performance. But, but just you know what? Their... I'll give you the deus ex machina if it's Nick Fury and if it's Sam Jackson. So when you have, how are they possibly going to be saved from the middle of the ocean and Nick Fury shows up, it was such a badass moment. I will always give that to you. And uh, this really worked, especially because how much they've been mentioning him and, and how strongly they've been trying to tie the the movies into the show. To have all this constant back and forth about Fury and about the destruction of S.H.I.E.L.D. and how important Coulson is supposed to be to Fury and to the Avengers and to S.H.I.E.L.D., but then to not have Fury actually on the show would really have been false. So I think it really was a good move on the part of the show to bring him in and to bring him in for an entire episode, not just for one or two scenes. Definitely. And then that bottom of the ocean scene really worked for me. They've got me to invest at least somewhat in the Fitzsimmons relationship. And that was quite touching. Yeah. For those who don't know, Ian uh, Kastiger, I've probably pronounced his name wrong, is a really good actor and uh, he was great on The Fades, which is a six episode uh, season of of TV that was, you know, that we talked about on the podcast last year. You wouldn't necessarily know he's a really good actor based on what they've given him this season uh, to work with on S.H.I.E.L.D. So I was glad to at least get that scene, which I thought was, you know, really nice and played to his strengths. And I'm just hopeful that when they bring him back, they take advantage of this change that they can do in the character from his potential brain damage um, and really give the actor more to do. S.H.I.E.L.D. had some, some good fight scenes this week, uh, but you know what? There was this other show called Arrow that had its finale unthinkable, and that tunnel fight sequence was badass. It was so good, and I have very little I have very little engagement with these characters, most of the characters, that is. I just, I really don't care about Oliver Queen. And so that makes a lot of the show difficult for me to invest in. But that fight sequence, that, that worked. This, this whole episode was like 42 minutes of me doing the Tom Haverford face. Like, you know, <laughs> I was, this was such a blast. I, this is easily the most satisfying season finale of anything that I've seen in such a long time. Probably since the, the end of Spartacus. Man, that scene, I thought cutting between um, the, the past fight with Slade and the current fight with him worked extremely well uh, and having the contrast where he thinks that he's killing him in the past to him deciding not to in the present and then talking to him afterwards about you helped me become a hero and just leaving him there on the island good lord they they paid off that season long arc extremely well there's there's literally too much for me to say about this episode 
So <laughs> okay, so well, say something or ask me something. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little devil's advocate here and um, okay. have you try to you know pitch me on something. I negative care about anything in flashback, and it's actually ruining my ability to enjoy the show. Because every time they flash back, uh, I'm just reminded of the really kind of terrible way that the show introduced the character in the pilot and, you know, the fact that here's this person who is obviously hugely changed, completely unrecognizable from who we've seen him to be when he left. And nobody in his family is noticing, is saying anything, is going, you speak Russian? You didn't speak Russian before you were, you know, so randomly stranded on an island for five years. So it just was such a terrible handling of that at the start of the show that every time they flash back, not only is there are there very few, if any, stakes for me, because I know he's going to be fine. Yeah, And I know that some of these other characters who die don't die because we see them in the present. Uh, but I... I I can't enjoy any character development they do because I know where it's going to end up. I already know where the, that journey leads to, and it doesn't match with what they're trying to convince me he he experienced in these flashbacks. Okay, yeah, a few things. You're right. Like This is certainly the weakest aspect of the show. And from all the critics who I've read and listened to this year, they seem to think that the flashbacks were handled better or that they were better integrated into this season. And I actually don't necessarily agree with that. I think that the reason that it worked somewhat well in the first season was because that was a season built around explaining who Oliver Queen was. And so it was kind of necessary to have those two versions. And in this time, it was kind of more of the same, or it was just plot, plot, plot. And like you said, a lot of that dramatic tension is removed from having certain information. And so the island scene setting didn't work as well. And I'm, in that sense, I'm excited that we're moving to Hong Kong and that Amanda Waller is going to be part of that because that's at least a change of scenery. Um, but at the very least in this episode, I think that they managed to pay off those scenes, not just with that fight, but also to kind of echo the, the same original scene where the, Queen the Queen's Gambit goes down and, and Sarah falls out and Oliver has to experience that again. Um, that kind of just adds more of the the horrific quality to the five years that he's had to endure. Um, so that might or might not be convincing, but I think that when they do those kinds of echoes, that's using those kinds of scenes better, and they haven't really done that this year. Here's the thing. That Sarah being swept out to sea thing again, I should have felt that's what they wanted you to feel, what you described. Instead, I was like, oh, yeah, that's how they're getting around their cheat of having him be surprised that she's alive when she shows up again. Because they want, you know, she she's uh, shockingly alive in the present. And we go, oh, we thought she died on the boat. And, and then in the past, they want to have that moment again. So they have her show up and then, you know, then it's like, wait a second. But how then why was he surprised if he already, you know, so, so it just so much of these flashbacks feel like cheats and ways to get around things, you know, wanting to have their cake and eat it too and not and taking away dramatic stakes and, and, and pathos. Uh, and so that's I get very frustrated 
by by that. So whereas, and and I'm sure if I was a more regular viewer of the show, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are yelling at their iPods right now or other streaming device, uh, saying well, you don't actually watch the show, so you don't get to have an opinion on it. And <laughs> you know that that's pretty valid. This is obviously an episode designed to pay off a season's worth of story, and I don't have that background, so it, it, fair point. I give you that one, but it really is a limiting factor to my ability to enjoy the show. And that's part of why I'm so excited about the flash starting this fall because the flash is, it appears is not going to have that structure. So it's going to be theoretically the strengths of arrow without the baggage that drives me nuts. It's fair. And to kind of back you up, I am a regular viewer of the show and not just a regular viewer. Like I love arrow. Yeah. <laughs> like it is the only show on TV that. I look forward to days in advance to sit down with an episode on a Wednesday night. And, and even with that, and even thinking like, I, I actually enjoy it more than something like, you know, the Americans, which is probably blasphemy. Um, those, those flashbacks frustrate me because it is kind of a limiting factor often, not all of the time, but often. So that's a totally fair point from somebody who has seen everything um, and genuinely loves it. But uh, in terms of the Flash, how how upset would you be if they spent like the ten years from when Barry's mom dies? No, you know? <laughs> not allowed. Just, Bad. Yeah. Bad, Sean. Don't even put that into the universe. Not allowed. To... Into the ether. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think about the 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 narrative sleight of hand, the Oliver Felicity? I love you. Do you understand? Scene. Well, you know what i I'm not a shipper for that because I haven't been watching enough to to get engaged in that relationship and so it it wasn't as oh my god as it was i'm sure for some people and there are other shows for which i would have had that reaction so that is not me judging anybody who did have that reaction uh but i was not as surprised to see that and um yeah therefore i wasn't i wasn't like dashed against the rocks but i i can see why people would have been or maybe were and um for the most part, it worked, and particularly in something that I want to say that Ryan and Ryan did a whole hour-long breakdown of the finale last week on their podcast, uh, Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan, and uh, one of the things that they said that I absolutely agree with is that it shows how much respect and trust Oliver has for Felicity, and that is huge, and that is something that so many other genre shows don't do. It's one of the things I love about Grimm, actually, is the way that everybody on that show respects everybody else regardless of gender regardless of experience if they are in the innocent in a circle they're in the inner circle for a reason and they all trust and respect each other and to you know a lot of shows don't do that a lot of shows do oh i know best and so they knock the person out to save them from their and don't give them a choice you know? and this really highlights that mutual respect and trust that the two have and whether or not they will you know hook them up Obviously, this, the little shipper inside of me wants them to hook them up because I do like Felicity, but I don't. I just I'm not engaged in that couple because I'm not I'm not engaged in Oliver Queen. I don't care about Oliver, and so that 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 stops me from really caring about that 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 scene in the way that I think you're supposed to. I thought it was well acted and well put together and well written. I just didn't engage with it. I'm I'm guessing you did though. Oh man. My brother can attest there's been a couple of times this year where I've said out loud, just kiss her, kiss her, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. So did did they get you? Yes, yeah, I was so, I so bought into that that all of my other senses were tuned out and I should have seen obviously what was happening, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. So 
They got me. Well, well played, Arrow. Uh, Arrow team. Okay, let's move on to our, our next show. That's Orphan Black. Ipsus Scientia Potestis Est, which means knowledge itself is power. And there's a lot that this episode does that I really appreciate. I'm going to try to keep it short because I can just go on and on. And there's plenty more Orphan Black coming for us to talk about. So we don't really need to do that this week. Um, the Felix stuff like tore my heart out this week a little bit. The uh, Helena and Sarah stuff totally destroyed me. Again, Maslani, holy crap. But the other thing that this episode does that I think is so significant is that it it moves all of our stories forward with the plot. It gives us very significant information that we needed, but we didn't even necessarily know that we did. And so I really appreciate the way, you know, this revelation with Leaky. And it, I mean, it explains so much. Yeah, the, the costume and stuff has kind of been on the back burner for a lot of the season, or at least it's all just kind of been checking in. And so this was a much better payoff or setup. So that was good. And like you said, the highlight for me was that Sarah Helena scene, which was devastating. Oh man, I could watch this. Helena makes animal sounds. The show, <laughs> the pig sounds. Yeah, that oh, was. Oh my god, brilliant. Or 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 Helena, the the hairdresser. Yep. Yes, a little more off the back. Yes, you're so pretty. You're so pretty, Rachel. It's it's great. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on Orphan Black, or shall we move on to In the Flesh? Let's go. Okay, episode two of In the Flesh introduces a fun little. Uh, uh, Nazi parable uh, here, or um, the 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 work group of uh, of of undead and the the promise of citizenship again, regaining citizenship, which means that their citizenship has been taken away from from them. How does uh, how did this episode work for you with that element, and how much of it is going to come down to the the big change at the end of the episode? This episode worked a lot better for me. The that political stuff is definitely. Working alongside a lot of the character stuff, so everything with Jem um, has has definitely been engaging, and so to have her uh, interact with two classmates this episode, Charlotte and and Henry, I think each of those characters added a lot to to what they're doing with her and what they're taking her through, and so um, that was just unfortunate, somewhat telegraphed, but unfortunate and heartbreaking that that she winds up killing Henry at the end. Yeah, and not what I was expecting them to do. Um, and, and I think it's a way more interesting storyline. So, you know, there's that. Uh, I'm worried about, you know, about where they're going. What's going to happen with Amy? I'm worried for Amy. And that's, you know, that's good. That means they're doing their job. Uh, as for the, you know, Jem, I, I liked the way they subvert our expectations with the, like, the sort of mean girl click. Um, that That worked really nicely. And... You know, Jem's, it's easy to forget, you know, she's still having to deal with high school crap. She's still having to to figure out, you know, she's still very traumatized. And I like that this episode does not shy away from that while it's introducing so many other elements. The, the other thing that I'll mention that I'm not really sure how I feel about because I don't particularly like the character, but Philip's story where he's visiting this underground club to have this girlfriend experience to recreate what he had with Amy uh, and then to have his scene with her where he's not really that creepy which was good he's kind of just shy and trying to engage with her um, like you said Amy's place in this series or this season might be in jeopardy but to, to have him around that I think has been an interesting choice yeah yeah it's uh 
It's been a good season. So it's all all two episodes in, but it's also a third of the way through the season. So uh, I'm looking forward to what comes next. Our final show this week in genre is Penny Dreadful Seance. And this episode's got a lot of, of buzz. Um, I was actually super, I was expecting more of a leap up in, in quality uh, for the sec- second episode, but I think I just enjoyed the first episode more than other people did. The central set piece of that seance sequence is what most people are talking about. And as we talked a little bit about on the Game of Thrones podcast, for me, it's not about Ava Green. For a lot of people, it seems to be about Ava Green. It, for me, it's not about Ava Green. It's all about Timothy Dalton in that moment. Uh, I, I know that, that you, you we expressed some of that in the Game of Thrones podcast. Would you like to? Would you care to elaborate? Well, just to give Ava Green credit because she's one of my favorite actresses. Um, she was having so much fun with that. That was beautiful. So she knocked that out of the park. But it, it is down to Timothy Dalton, just being able to react as a actor doing a performance. Like there's less that you can do, or there's seemingly less that you can do because there's no dialogue that you're doing. And so it's down to facial expressions, it's down to body language, and we don't even really have too much information about Mina at this point, but you can see that entire story in Timothy Dalton's eyes, and it's kind of the quivering that's going on there. And that was superb, I thought. It was, it was very powerful, and this is a, a character who is so restrained and who is so in control. That that you know that element just adds to it as well. Uh, how did you feel about the introduction of Dorian Gray? Uh, less keen. Um, maybe it's just because there wasn't any kind of spark there. I don't know. I I was kind of lukewarm about it. Um, they they cut off his scene with Vanessa a little short before that was going to develop into something. So I'm at least looking forward to see to seeing what they do with him. But as of right now, it's kind of just bleh. Yeah, I really like Billy Piper. I wish they weren't saddling her with that ridiculous accent. Um, but I, I really enjoy her as an actress, so I look forward to what's coming next for that character. Um, and I, you know, I particularly enjoy that. Yes, Josh Hartnett is still in the show, but even if the the advertisers don't seem to know this, the show knows that this is all about Eva Green and Timothy Dalton and their characters. So I'm enjoying that. What about the surprise that we get with the Victor? We thought we knew Frankenstein's monster, but mm-hmm. uh, it appears not. I, I got to say, considering how good the seance was, everything that had to do with Victor and Proteus this episode was the most powerful stuff for me. Um, it's not often that I'm like really entertained and have fun with an episode of TV. It's actually very rare where I'm genuinely impressed by something that happens. And the director, um, J.A. Bayona, literally impressed me by how easily and fully he immersed me into the perspective of Proteus when he's doing that walk through town. Like, that actually felt as if I was experiencing things for the first time, just in the way that that was shot. So, that really blew me away in a way that I was actually surprised by. It was really well done, and Roy Kinnear just... It's such a creation of a character, Proteus. It it feels, you know, we know who he is, even if he doesn't. And uh, that's such a feat for only, you know, an episode and a half, maybe even even less, really. Uh, So I was very sad to see him go, though I'm sure that will propel a lot of what comes next, at least for Victor. Uh, Any hopes for the rest of the season? Just, you know, put Proteus back together and I'll be happy. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, what wins your week in genre? That's got to be Arrow. Okay. Um, for me, whew, 
I gotta give it, uh, and it's boring, but I gotta give it to Orphan Black. Just, you know, Sistra, Brother Sistra. Come on. (laughs) It was a great great episode. It was great. Okay, well, uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. And uh, now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way. This week in drama, I'm going to preview The Normal Heart and The Night Shift, and then we'll talk a little bit about the elementary finale, The Grand Experiment, new installments of Fargo and The Americans, The Six Ungraspables and Operation Chronicle, as well as uh, Sunday's very moving episode of of Mad Men, The Strategy. But first, let me preview two shows that will be airing this week. We're going to have the premiere of The Night Shift on NBC, as well as The Normal Heart, which is going to be airing on HBO. That one is a, a, a TV movie. The Night Shift is a show about doctors working the night shift at a hospital. And I hated this pilot so much. When when I watched it in the fall. Now, it's possible they've changed and fixed things. I don't know how much they possibly could have. If you haven't seen the poster for The Night Shift, you need to go find it because it's hilarious. It features our lead straddling a a motorcycle. See, he's a rebel doctor who's been traumatized thanks to his, his experience in combat. He's a veteran. And so he doesn't play by the rules. And you can tell this because he drives a motorcycle. And uh, and just has broody emo hair as well. Um, it's just this is not this is not a good show. And uh, this was actually along with you know, Ironsides. Remember that one in the fall? That was the thing oh, that yeah. happened last year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, th- those two were what first inspired me to write up my fall procedurals Mad Libs that I did, uh, where it was anti-hero bingo basically. Uh, does he have a a female? protagonist uh, love interest who is also his boss who can see the brilliant genius inside of his acting out of course is there uh, a a minority character who is also a figure of authority but who understand but but who is a in constant conflict with this anti-hero because uh they either they're misunderstood or i mean just all of the cliches you could expect from a sexy doctors kind of show. There's like one or two touches that are nice, but for the most part, when they have the the doctors torturing the patients because they don't like them, you know, that's really when I, I tuned out. Uh, but apparently these are our heroes in the night shift. So if a soapy, very predictable show sounds fun, go for it. And again, like I said, it's this was I, the, the pilot I watched in the fall. It is possible that they reshot part of it without me hearing about it. Uh, 
And if that's the case, maybe they improve some things. But I really was not a fan of this show, and I'm not surprised to see it get burned off during the summer. Uh, however, The Normal Heart is amazing. Now, this is based on a play of the same name by uh, Larry Kramer, who also wrote the the, the screenplay for this. And uh, it, it follows the men and uh, a couple women who came together in the early 80s to form the Gay Men's Health Crisis and Activism Group. And, uh, and this was in the, out, with the outbreak of AIDS, or as it was first known, gay cancer and then, and then GRID. And, uh, and so the, it follows, the lead character is um, played by, my, by Mark Ruffalo, and that's Ed Weeks, Ned Weeks. And it's, it's largely based on a true story. And what I think this does well, besides deal with a and present in a honest and very heartbreaking way, the experience of a lot of people in the early 80s as they watched a just entire segment of the population die with very few people seeming to care. Uh, besides just that, it does a really good job of showing the central figures as as people, as very passionate and and well-meaning people, but as deeply conflicting people. So we have our, our hero, Ned Weeks, but he, and he, he keeps shouting from the rooftops about what he sees happening. But the show, I, I appreciate that the film doesn't only make him a hero. They also show the way that he pushes others away and, and that his uh, behavior may actually be hurting his cause. There's a, a very strong central conflict between the Mark Ruffalo character and the Taylor Kitsch character. And I also have to specifically mention Taylor Kitsch because this is the Taylor Kitsch that those of us who watched Friday Night Lights and loved him on that know is there and know can be a great actor, not the Taylor Kitsch who keeps, keeps getting cast in unfortunate sci-fi epics. So um, along with several other, I mean, Jim Parsons has a standout performance, as does Alfred Molina, as does Matt Bomer. Julie Roberts is really fun. Uh, or, well, yeah. Fun isn't maybe the right word, but it's it's a, it's really moving. It's very well very well done, and I'm not familiar with the play. Those who are might have a different take, but I thought it was great and definitely definitely worth looking out for um, on uh, next week Sunday on Memorial Day weekend. It's it's just over uh, two hours long, and it is well well worth your time. So that's the normal heart. Check it out. Please skip over the the night shift and uh, let's move on to this week's television and we'll kick things off with element the elementary finale, um, the grand experiment. What did you think of this finale? How did it pay off this Mycroft uh, angle? It it did it well enough for me. I think these last few episodes have been a lot of fun and it's been a good switch compared to the first season finale, which was also fantastic but ended on a really kind of triumphant note. So. Joan and, and Sherlock overcame the, the problem that was Moriarty. And this time, like, everything blows up, which raises a lot of interesting questions for next season. Like, what does Sherlock go into MI6 do for that relationship? And are we going to pick up, like, immediately after these events? Or will he have already spent time there? And will Joan have already been acclimated to her new apartment or whatever it is? Um, so that part is intriguing. But just looking at this episode on its own, the scene with Mycroft where he just walks up and hugs Sherlock pretty much as Sherlock is berating him, I thought was a really, really great emotional moment. And that definitely worked for me. Um, it hasn't been like the the best fraternal relationship on TV, even this season, but to see them working together and 
to some extent, overcoming some of their problems uh, really helped out the later half of this season. I absolutely agree about that scene with Mycroft and Sherlock, and the the Mycroft character has really worked for me in that context of his relationship to Sherlock and 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 that bond. And I think that's been a really interesting and <laughs> everybody drink a really fun portrayal of of a character that I'm very familiar with. Where Mycroft doesn't work and where this episode doesn't work for me is in the horrible decision to tie him romantically with Joan. Because not only do the two not have any chemistry, like not quite the negative chemistry that a few shows have tried to like, you know, get us to buy into, but there's 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 no chemistry there. But Joan does not feel like the same character in this because she goes completely doe-eyed over a guy that just lied to her. Who she it's like she has some like savior complex. Oh, you self-sacrificed, so I don't care that you just lied to me, and I'm going to sleep with you. You know, it's like they wanted to to end last week's episode with uh, with, with Sherlock coming in on them sleeping together, and and so they, you know, and I talked about this last week. So they reverse engineered everything that came before. At least that's what it feels like to me. And and so no no part of the Joan and Mycroft conversations this week work for me no part of that is believable and it really is unfortunate that that's the only thing you could think to do with Joan in relation to what should be a very significant storyline for Sherlock as well as for Joan and that being said I loved everything they did with her expressing her need for independence from Sherlock I thought that was great and I think you know it's really it's time and I love that she stands up for herself she listens to and she respects Sherlock and what he has to say and his his desire to change and for her is beautifully expressed in another of the episode's best scenes. But I, and I love that she stands her ground, but then this does not feel like the same Joan that we see like staring wistfully off at Mycroft. It's a point that is a hundred percent correct. And it's the only kind of like blemish on this arc. And it's a problem with elementary because they don't really know how to build around the central pairing like Gregson and Bell are sometimes entertaining, but that's about it. And they practically have no parts in this entire uh, four episode arc that has ended the season. And so elementary has a difficult time integrating a third character and Mycroft could have worked as that third character, but just because the, the central pairing is a platonic one, it just feels like maybe there's that pressure there to have some sort of romantic aspect to it when it really didn't need to be there. I think that they all offer each other uh, different insight and different characteristics or bring out certain characteristics without having to approach those relationships in that way. So obviously the, the Sherlock-Joan relationship is perfect how it is, um, and the, the Holmes brothers work really well, and there's conflict there. And then, yeah, the, the other part of that triangle just kind of falls apart when it's going for that romantic aspect. Because you're right, there is no chemistry there, which isn't the biggest problem, but the most egregious error is how it takes away some of the goodwill that, that Joan has built over the course of two seasons because of how strong of a character she is. And how independent and how clear-eyed she is in in her in her decisions about herself and, and her friends. And, you know, there's plenty of great storylines you can do, and I'm not opposed to a Joan and Mycroft storyline if they had any chemistry. Just the way that they have done it in these episodes has been very dissatisfying. And the other element that I have to nitpick about here is I really don't like where they end with 
the the little smiley face guy. Now remind me, I thought that that was like a calling card for a drug dealer. Um, I was talking to some people on Twitter. They were saying that it it was like a little packet of heroin. Do you remember which of those it is? And is there a way that that this is not just an annoyingly cheap cliffhanger tactic? Because I don't think the show's going to make him go uh, start the season as an addict again. I don't think they're going to not show that specific choice. And so, if but if they don't, then it feels like a cheat, and I'm pissed off. I don't know. What what did you think about that ending cliffhanger? That I understood that to be like when they went to the crime scene, he picked up one of those packets and it is drugs. Um, I know eventually they're going to go that route and put Sherlock in a position where he does use again. I don't know when though, and it wouldn't make sense to do it off screen. So the MI6 gig will have to kind of distract him long enough so that wherever we pick up the, the drug use will happen afterwards. I'd be surprised if they don't use that card eventually in elementary. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, and I think it makes sense. It, it it's a it's a difficult but a challenging and appropriate storyline for the show to tackle if they're willing to to do it right. But uh, but yeah, to to end the season with him pocketing the the heroin and um, and then that's it. And we know that I mean, if if Joan if he starts using and Joan doesn't immediately cotton to it, that's a betrayal of her her character and what she you know what she has learned over her years as a sober companion. But I, if, then why do you have that as a cliffhanger if, if you're not going to jump forward any time? Because if you jump forward time and he's using and she hasn't realized, as far as I'm concerned, that's a complete betrayal of who Joan is. And I don't think they're, I hope they're not going to do that. But then why do you end with that as your cliffhanger? I just, I don't know, I'm frustrated about that. That's fair enough. And I think teams of writers are usually tempted to leave some threads open just as... Uh, an easy way to kind of pick up when they go back to the writing room for the next season. So I guess I was less bothered about that than I ought to have been because it was overall a pretty solid episode and a solid arc just for the the Mycroft Sherlock stuff. So to me, this is a slight improvement over the first season, which I definitely enjoyed. Um, I felt like the the cases of the week were more interesting, more creative. Um, with their their murders and kind of how they those unraveled, um, so I was definitely satisfied with this. And once I catch up on The Good Wife, I'll have a couple of CBS shows that I genuinely like. Yeah, I I'm very glad to have caught up with Elementary and uh, to have lear- seen the error of my ways uh, late in the summer last year. And I've I've enjoyed watching it every every week pretty much. I this is not one that I get behind on and then marathon. This is one that I pretty much keep up with. And for a procedural, that's saying quite a bit. The performances are really strong, uh, and the the characters for the most part are really very well drawn and very well performed. So on the whole, I'm don't, don't send the hate mail. I am a fan of elementary and I look forward to, to watching it next season. Um, let's go on, move on to Fargo, the six ungraspables. And uh, I'm just going to get this out of the way guys. Seriously, seriously guys, next week's episode of Fargo is fucking amazing. <laughs> it's so good. It is crazy good. And I'm probably overhyping it for everybody. And so disregard everything I'm saying, but we will all, we will be talking about Fargo and uh, it's particularly its central set piece next week very much but this episode was good too that being said i've seen the next two ep- this episode and next week's episode so i'm going to mostly stay out of this conversation cuz i don't want to accidentally spoil anything what did okay. you think of the six ungraspables um 
one of my friends talks to me about this and has been complaining that nothing really happens in Fargo, and I, I guess superficially that's correct, but I don't. That's not a problem, right? So TV series in which events, big events, don't necessarily happen every week. That's that's usually deliberate, and I really enjoyed this episode for reasons of how um, how it was really drawing on the Coen Brothers' influence, which is to do these kind of stories or parables. And in this case, one of them, the neighbor of, of Gus Grimley, who delivers that about the guy who just gives everything away, that so totally worked for me, and I'm. I was kind of taken aback by how affecting that was in combination with what Grimley says afterwards, which um, the guy is basically saying only a fool thinks he can solve um, the world's problems. And, and Grimley says, but you got to try, don't you? And that perspective, I, I don't even know how to explain this well enough. Um, I remember listening to Mo Ryan talk about Spartacus and how Gannicus was an archetype that really worked for her. So this bad boy who kind of doesn't believe in himself, that's a certain thing, and each viewer has their certain attractions to archetypes. This archetype, which is the person who, in spite of all of the things that should suggest otherwise, goes out of their way to try to help people because they feel like it's the right thing to do. It's the reason why Leslie Nope is probably my favorite TV character of all time, and I absolutely love this aspect of Gus Grimley, and he's quickly becoming one of my favorite people on TV right now. His pairing with Molly, both of them kind of do this in their different ways, and they're like legitimate heroes of stories that are about heroes versus villains, and so that was really attractive to me. Well, and I would add to that description of the archetype. It's not just that they do it anyway. It's that they don't – they are incapable of not doing it, and, and that's the – the instant, immediate, and honest reaction of Gus is, well, but you got to try. It doesn't, you know, and, and, and to see, not only is the parable, parable really well executed, and I, I like the way they, they handled that and, sh and showed it, not only, you know, is, is there that element, but for me, it's all about the reactions we get from Gus and then Molly later. It tells us so much about who these people are, and uh, I absolutely agree. It's, it's an archetype I'm glad to see showing up a little bit more frequently. <laughs> on my TV nowadays than it was even a couple years ago, but um, but yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. I thought that scene worked well, and there, there's several wins this week for the good guys. That's that's one of them. Very uplifting kind of moment there. Um, but then we also get uh, Bill actually listening to Molly, and I, I love that it's when when he's presented with the actual evidence, he doesn't react negatively because she's a woman or any of these, this sort of like discrimination that they sort of have been building up for her in the workplace because of her gender, because of her age, because of just how they, the image they have in their mind of who she is. It doesn't really matter. I like that, you know, they, they present, she presents to her boss this ridiculous load of coincidence that she's noticed about Lester and he goes, okay, well, I clearly, we have to investigate it. Little moments like that, watching a show not go down the expected easy route of conflict, but instead keep more true to, to honest depictions of, you know, what would somebody in that job actually be like? You know, th those are the things I appreciate. The other thing I'll just mention about this episode, and again, tying it to the Coen Brothers style, is the, the wonderful humor. So uh, Gold Goldberg's character telling, um, telling Lester 
you know, if you puke in here, I will actually kill you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and also uh, uh, Malvo talking at the end about uh, the Jungle Book and how, like, befriending animals, he just says, I don't think so. Like, that's not realistic. Um, it had that as well as, as Lester trying to bargain for these socks, and the guy just pawns off a, a shotgun to him because Lester can't say no to those kinds of things because he's too easy to be walked over. Yeah, there's there's a lot to enjoy this week, and um, I, particularly I thought that conversation between, we already mentioned it, between Malvo and Grimley's neighbor was very effective, and... Um, Wait till you guys see the next episode. That's all I'll say. Okay. The Americans, Operation Chronicle. I've also seen the next episode for the for the Americans. I've seen the finale, and it's going to destroy you. I'm just guessing. It is really good. Particularly, there's just a few moments that will just take your heart out and trample them on the ground uh, because they're so well done. Uh, but the... Uh, huh. Yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Let, but this episode I thought was also very good. That's the thing. I'm kind of ruining these drama episodes this week because I like them. But the ones that I like the best, uh, Fargo and the Americans, that is, uh, I'm kind of underselling because I'm telling you guys how great the next episode is. Let, for Operation Chronicle, we get a lot of stuff with Paige um, and comparing, you know, the where Paige is at with where Jared is at. Um, we get Martha talking about kids. Uh, what did what did you think of the various the children in this episode and that the, and this season's continued focus on children? It's been probably the the most obvious through line for the season. And it's one that really works when you compare it to how they dealt with marriage last season. Uh, the page stuff again is an interesting development. What I'm most excited about as far as that is concerned is that she's really keyed into what's going on. And all she needs is that one little detail that will kind of begin that trajectory to where she finds out who her parents really are. Um, so that, is is fun and kind of nerve-wracking to watch as, as Philip and Elizabeth try to work around that because clearly they know that she's a very bright girl and more so than a lot of the, the adults that they have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, that's got me really excited. The, the Martha stuff feels like the first step into the dissolution of that because I don't know how they reconcile that conversation and that argument. So... At the same time where she's kind of pulled out the best intel that she's offered so far by getting those files to Clark, this also, I think, puts a big roadblock for that relationship. I don't, I don't, I don't know where that takes that relationship into next season. So that's another thing I'm looking forward to. That being said, though, I'm so glad that we're not going to do a uh, Martha's Pregnant storyline. Like, I'm, I'm just so glad that that's not where the show seems to be going. Uh, I really don't need... That there's already so much other stuff going on. I really don't need that storyline here. So I was, I thought that that scene was actually really well played and so honest. And it's like, yeah, you know what? This is not the life in which one should have children, and yet you do. Uh, Clark, <laughs> Philip, you have two kids, and uh, they're struggling. At least, at least Paige is is struggling to understand what's going on and and reconcile what she sees with what you tell her and. Yeah, and she's suffering for it, and it, especially when that's contrasted with Jared, who is not in a good place this week. Obviously, how could you be? Your parents and sister are dead, but um, but still, I just the the handling of all of that, the way that is all coming together. I I didn't know. I was starting to doubt how how much this was going to come together at the end of the season because it sort of got away from the kids' stuff to some extent. Specifically, they got away from Jared and and that storyline uh, quite a bit in the center of the season. But I'm glad to see it coming back a lot more 
um, in, in this episode. And, um, and the other thing I'll say is I really appreciate Lyric. They, they've done a great job building up that character as a strong and smart and deadly antagonist. And, uh, and I think the show's really benefited from having a central figure like that. She has been such a revelation, and I'm worried that the viewers will kind of underrate um, Lee, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Tur- Turgeson, his involvement with the show um, in the same way that Annette Mahendru kind of just came out of nowhere in the first season. Um, obviously, Lee's been on plenty of great programs in the past. I know him from Oz, and that's I kind of think of him, think of him as Beecher first and foremost, but... Um, he is such a boogeyman in the Americans and a massive presence. Like the, the comparisons that I made in my review were like the Terminator or uh, a character like Pyramid Head from the Silent Hill franchise who is just so menacing. I mean, obviously, he Lyric isn't like that entity of evil and he speaks, which is something that the Pyramid Head does not do. But um, he he kind of haunts these episodes in a way that there wasn't that kind of presence last season for me. And to have that big bad villain has really helped this season, I think, in the same way that, that having Mags in, in Justified Season 2 really elevated that season. Well, you know what else I love about this character? Uh, when, when's the last time they mentioned that his big crime that they start all this with is because he's gay? I love how that really doesn't matter to, they don't care. <laughs> the show doesn't care. Philip and Elizabeth don't care. And we don't have that, you know, again, a lesser show would have focused in on that part of the character. And that doesn't matter to what he's doing right now. That was an instigating factor in how he got tied up and everything, but now he's just pissed. And, uh, and, and I, I lo- just, I love the handling of that character. So many smart character choices. Um, throughout the Americans, but specifically this week and uh, and next week as well. Do you want to talk about Oleg and Nina at all? Uh, well, just to say that that's great, really. It, it, we got Oleg kind of going out of his way to help her last week, and it's done even more so this week. So I was kind of unsure how I felt about Oleg earlier in the season. He was at least en- enigmatic and entertaining, and that was fine. Um, but now he's really developed into another good television hero in many ways. So... Um, I appreciate what he's doing for Nina. Yeah, as do I. I was not uh, I was not an Oleg fan earlier on, so I'm glad to see that character become more interesting and developed and uh, feel like a person by the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, again, to everybody, if you're not watching The Americans, tune in. I look forward to the conversation we will have next week about The Americans. Let's move on to Mad Men, the strategy. Next week, we are going to have a season spotlight on or half season spotlight, whatever, on, on this season of Mad Men. Uh, I I was watching other shows first before I watched this one because you know my, I had to get my Veep review up at, at, at uh, the AV Club, so I needed to watch that live. There are a few things that necessitated that I watch Mad Men after everything else. And I just saw Twitter kind of explode with all of the feels, guys. And that last scene, and so I was very glad when I watched it to to actually see those big powerful moments we get this week really really pay off even with my expectations raised. I love the 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 Don and the Peggy that we get this week, and I oh man, I'm I, it took us a while to get there, but I'm willing to give them snarky kind of bitchy Peggy all season with this being the payoff. A hundred percent, like. We're going to have to start a counter of like consecutive weeks that Sean cries during TV because mm-hmm. it happens quite often, and, and this was it. Like I was actually 
weeping at that moment where they're just dancing to Frank Sinatra. Like that relationship is so key to a lot of what Mad Men does. Um, I guess in between the lines, like we've spent plenty of time away from them as uh, allies, but still that influence that each has had on the other. And I think that they're equally important to one another. I, I just think that Don acknowledges that probably more often than Peggy does. Um, so integral to both of their developments. And this was like the most beautiful payoff that they could have done for it. And I'm a sucker for um, My Way, the, the song. And that, I think, applies not just to what's going on here. And we could talk about how, how Joan wants to do her do things her way as well, but um, that was one of the best moments of the year so far in TV for me. And you know what? I absolutely love all of, right now, I'm trying to think of one that counteracts this, maybe Elizabeth and Philip on, on The Americans, but all of my favorite relationships and the most interesting relationships on television for me right now are platonic. You have, you have Don and Peggy, you have um, Sarah and Felix, on Orphan Black. You have Joan and Sherlock on Elementary. Uh, you have uh, even Abby and um, and Ichabod on Sleepy Hollow. Like, so many of my favorite... Oh, and of course, the, the, the all of the braver men <laughs> on, on, uh, on Parenthood, particularly Drew and Amber's uh, uh, relationship as siblings. I mean, I'm way more interested in, in a pairing like like Peggy and Don than I am in any of the, you know, I, I, I like Megan. I'm pro Megan. I'm, I'm pro Betty. I'm pro all of the love interests pretty much on, on Mad Men. But that, that moment with the two of them dancing, I, and I love, I mean, cause that's just an element they get to take advantage of because of the height of the two actors. But it felt so much to me like, like I, I could see them easily swapping in um, Sally to the same song, to the same same posture, but it does that doesn't negate who the Peggy Peggy is and her her uh, accomplishments, and it doesn't make it's not like she is like she is a child, but that affection that 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 Don clearly does has have for her and his understanding of in that moment of the importance of that relationship to him and 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 what he is screwed up and lost with that and is now starting to to regain i mean it's beautiful and everything leading up to it was really good as well just to see them working together trying to to get a good pitch um i'm really worried that it will kind of just be casually mentioned that that they were drinking together and that don might get fired because of that clause in his contract but uh i guess that's for next week the other thing that i touched on was um was joan and the return of bob benson which was Yay! which was great he's no longer just a specter being talked about um but she had a very very good scene there where she's not really willing to to sacrifice her desire for love she would rather die wanting that than than settling for some kind of arrangement which uh is another great note for joan and she's had several of them in the season already i think yeah it's you know it's one of the elements of of Mad Men that, if you actually step back and think about it, makes kind of the least sense. How is Joan? Joan is amazing and she's gorgeous. How does she? How has she not found a great guy? But maybe it's because she's spending so much time with the pool where she works, where I think we can all agree 
the great guys are not uh, thick on the ground. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of those things where if you think if she really did want to, to get married, she would be able to. She would be able to find somebody who's great because she's so amazing. And so the fact that she hasn't prioritized that, she's prioritized her, her job, she's prioritized her time with, with her son, you know, that, that I think informs what we get from her this week. And tying in both that scene with, with Bob Benson and Joan, where he's saying, do you really want to be 40 and single? And, and, and tying that in with Peggy's, you know, fear of or, or uh, less than happiness at being 30 and single and uh, nothing on the horizon and not sure if she's happy in her career and tying those in uh, together I thought worked really well and to see the different place that Joan is and with that in relationship to her status and her age and and her life and, and contrasting that with where Peggy is at I think worked really really nicely yeah and we'll We'll break down a lot more of Mad Men next week, obviously. The other thing that I'll just briefly mention is uh, Allison Brie coming back, which was nice. I didn't know if they were going to find reason for her to, to come back, but seeing Pete uh, so frustrated and mildly drunk is always amusing. So, And I love that, was... that he's screwing things up with Bonnie. It's like, oh, come on. You do not realize yeah. what a good thing you got going there with Jesse Schramm? Obviously, you already screwed things up with Allison Brie. You're not going to see get that many more chances with ridiculously gorgeous, intelligent, <laughs> driven women. So maybe you know, don't screw things up with Bonnie. How does how does Pete get that and Joan doesn't? <laughs> well, I, Joan, like I was saying, I don't think Joan is looking for that because if she was, you know, and I love that Joan is as excited and happy to see Bob as we are as an audience. I, I, you know, that was such a nice little warm moment. But uh, I don't really follow what's going on all with the cars. I think I need to rewatch to fully understand what they're doing. But I look forward to some uh, shenanigans from Roger next week. That's what I was kind of taken from that uh, that Joan and Roger scene. And uh, yeah, that last that last moment at the the Burger Chef was was pretty great. They know how to end. A, they know how to end an episode over there on Mad Men. Just a little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, what wins your week in drama? I mean. It's it's boring and unfair. And actually, if we had combined genre and drama, there would be two episodes that I would have put above Mad Men. But for these, it'll be Mad Men just for the Don and Peggy stuff. Yeah, I, I got to give it to, to Mad Men. If you throw the normal heart in there, it's more of a conversation. But um, uh, yeah, definitely give it to Mad Men. And it's going to be a fight. It is going to be a fight next week between the Mad Men finale, I'm sure, Fargo, the Americans, and... Uh, yeah, there's there's some good TV coming next week, guys. And now a few show notes. You can find a post-up at soundonsite.org for this podcast you, where you can leave us a comment, let us know what you're thinking about uh, the week's television. You can send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings-on at Sound Insight TV and the various podcasts that we're both involved in. You can also uh, talk to us on Twitter. Uh, I am at the Televerse, and you are? At my name at Sean Coletti. And of course, we're also up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we would very much appreciate any feedback you guys want to give us there. It does help other people find the show. But uh, what is our question of the week, Sean? Uh, well, I was going to kind of limit this to network finales, but by the time we record next, Mad Men and the Americans and Hannibal, oh, I guess Hannibal is network, will have finished. So, um, what has been the viewers' favorite season, or I guess in some cases, series finale? From this season. Ah, oh, good question. I will, I will have to abstain courteously until I see the Hannibal <laughs> finale and some of these others. Oh, that's interesting. 
Yeah, well, if I were to answer right now, I would have, I might have a different answer, but I don't want to count out some of the other episodes that are going to be airing this week. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a good time to be a TV fan. <laughs> well, it really is. Now we're going to take a break, and uh, Sean is going to take a break as well, and uh, I will come back with Sonia Soraya from the AV Club and Noel Kirkpatrick from TV.com to talk about The Good Wife season five. So we'll be right back after this. <laughs> Hey. Hey. Alicia Flark. I haven't seen you since Georgetown. Another life ago. You work here? In this building? No. On Madison. What about you? I just got a job. You did? Really? Where? Wells and Roland. It's a good firm. Congratulations. Thanks. Nice shoes. A baby threw up on my shoes. You going to the garage? Yes, you? A deposition. It's nice seeing you. And hey, I'm sorry about all that crap with your husband. Thanks. It'll die down. It will. Call me sometime. Stern, Lockhart, and Gardner. Hey, you got top billing. I'm an impressive person. Never doubted it for a minute. It was good seeing you. You too. back with the Televers. This is Kate Kalzik, and this week, instead of a DVD shelf, we'll be doing a season spotlight in what has been a fantastic season of television, and that's season five of The Good Wife. And here to help me break it down are two guests, so breaking from tradition here a little bit, and that's Sonia Soraya, the, t the assistant TV editor at the AV Club. Sonia, welcome. Hi, thank you. As well as Noel Kirkpatrick from TV.com. Noel, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's such a great show, The Good Wife. I know that we're all fans. Spoiler alert, uh, we like the show. <laughs> but uh, but I guess, Sonia, to start with you, what in particular has worked for you this season about the show? And, and what are your hopes for whether or not this can be maintained in season six? Oh, um, okay. Well, I, I, I guess to answer the second half first, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Robert and Michelle King, who are the showrunners of the show, are going to find a way to make season six work. Um, 
I have this like, well, I have a theory, which I'll get back to you later. But in terms of why season five has been so great, um, I think the show has just been willing to um, subvert every expectation that the viewers had about this season. Um, well, let me just ask, can we do spoilers on this? Like, what's the policy there? Spoilers are totally cool. And actually, you know, just to get this out of the way, just in case anyone's wondering, general thoughts on this season? I mean, I think everyone should watch A Good Wife. How do you feel about that? (laughs) It's pretty much on board. Yeah. No? Yeah, no, totally. Okay. So if you haven't watched The Good Wife yet and you don't want to be spoiled, go watch The Good Wife and come (laughs) back. We're going to dive in with spoilers because there's there's no way to talk about season five as a whole without getting into spoilers. Right. Um, Yeah. So so to go back, um, I guess I just feel like the show subverted expectations completely. Um, There might have been... the the third and fourth seasons, I think the show was kind of um, doing a little bit more of the same old thing that it had kind of gotten good at. You know, it was telling some of these like political stories. It was telling stories about cool and different cases um, in like the legal world. And then this season, it's literally as the name of one of the episodes, it's the shit hit the fan. Um, you know, they, they broke up a huge firm. They've messed with some of the major relationship dynamics on the show. They killed a character, um, which was like a huge deal. Um, and like, I feel like the show's still recovering from that. Um, and even though at times it hasn't like totally worked, it's still been so cool to see the show throw everything at the wall like this. Um, so yeah, I think this season's just been astounding for that. Noel, what are your thoughts on uh, why this season has worked? Well, I agree with Sonia that a lot of it is just that they were willing to take this massive risk in season five. I mean, to Sonia's point about season three and four kind of being kind of the same old, same old, it's just like by the time you hit season five for a broadcast show, you're leaning back and you're just cashing syndication checks. So you're just going to keep doing what works. And then they're just like, nope, not going to do that. We're going to just do this and go crazy. And that's, I think, why it was so exciting and why there was a lot more press and excitement about the show this season is that they were willing to do something really big and bold and then did something else really big and bold in the later half of the season that they kept a massive secret Mm -hmm. of being Will's death. And it was just one of those things where they were really taking risks in a time when we're talking about how cable and premium cable shows take these big innovative narrative risks. And here's this boutique kind of drama on CBS saying, no, 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 we can do this too. And we can do it this way. And it just totally works. And it's really exciting for folks who are watching the show, which should be everyone. (laughs) (laughs) This is such an accessible show. And that's one of the things that I do find particularly astounding. I've appreciated the increased press coverage and even just like buzz and Twitter talk and all that surrounding the show this season, because it's, it's one that I've been a massive fan of for years, but there was always either, you know, the, the CBS fan audience who might not have you know got caught onto the show because it, it feels more like a cable show in some of its elements, it's extended cast and uh, just, just its use of music and some of these other elements. But there was this definite sense of elitism 
amongst TV snobs. <laughs> well, oh, that's on network TV. So, I mean, I don't watch CBS. Well, if you don't watch CBS, you're missing one of the best shows on television. And it's been really great to see more people talking about The Good Wife, uh, more people catching up with it. It's a daunting test. There's over, what, like 115 episodes mm-hmm. at this point. If you're going to catch up with the series, first of all, you can just dive in. But if you, if you don't want to, I understand. I am a completionist as well. But, uh, I mean, it's a task. It's definitely a task to catch up, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it goes back to, to Noel, what you said earlier. Um, the, one of the most interesting things about CBS is that it's a network. I'm sorry about CBS, about The Good Wife, is that it's a network drama. Um, it's the type of network drama we haven't really seen and celebrated in a while, Um, You know, I think that there's a pretty big overlap between fans of The West Wing, um, like some like, I guess, 10, 15 years ago now, and um, and The Good Wife, because they're both these shows with massive seasons that kind of like there's a point sort of to the overarching stories. Um, There's there's maybe like one or two arcs that their creators are really trying to get through. But also there are dramas that just sort of live on TV and keep kind of growing and changing. And like, they're fine with that. Like they're, they're fine with telling these like sort of weird stories. Um, and I, I guess I say weird because they're sometimes, I mean, sometimes the good wife, it, it like the choices it makes. I'm like, what, what happened in the writer's room that convinced them that this was a thing that they could do? I mean, I guess, um, I guess a good example is not this week's episode, but last week's, the penultimate episode, where the opening was, um, and, and the, the direction of The Good Wife often has these, like, montage openings between um, a butler, like, serving, like, pastries at a, uh, at a fancy um, meeting and a protester making a pie that, I forget if it was a he or she uh, was going to throw at someone at this meeting. And like, it's so different and there's no, there's no like true detective, like time is a flat circle theme to it. They just find it interesting, which I think is like very, it's just very different from what we see on TV now. Definitely. And uh, those openings are one of those hallmarks for me of the show. I I love getting to like the, you know, fast forwarding for the commercial break and realizing it's been like 15 minutes and we still <laughs> haven't gotten the opening credits yet. Yeah. Which when you're trying to double check the name of the writer and the director, which we always list uh, the names of the writers, the directors of each episode that we review at Sound On Sight, you notice that stuff more. And it, and, uh, it is just, it's, it's very different for a procedural. It's not what we're used to, but it's wonderful. There's such great cinematography, and uh, Noel, we talk about this on Twitter all the time. They talk about the use of music on shows like The Good Wife, and their combination of those elements are just, they're just always really striking to me. I did a massive rewatch of the show um, during the winter break. Like, I've managed to get through at least the first three seasons or so because I don't have a life. <laughs> and um, it was really striking watching the show figure out what it looked like and its visual language. And then, like, this season, it just kind of all solidified. And Well, it didn't all solidify. Like, it figured out its visual language actually really quickly into season one. 
But this season, they just managed to find different ways of building on top of its structure continuously, which was really impressive. I mean, for me, the big, the big, te- big visual takeaway from season five was its use of those memory pops, those flashbacks, mm-hmm. quote unquote, that give us subjective access into people's memories and what they're thinking. But it it's such a departure from the show's normal way of us having to read into Alicia's state of mind through quirks of the eyebrow or micro expressions that Juliana, Juliana Marley is so good at doing that it didn't detract from it. It didn't, it added more complexity by giving us these little memory pops and these insights into their memories and whether or not these memories are reliable and everything. And it just found new ways to use these things and exploit television as a visual language, more so Mm -hmm. than just a narrative-based dialogue language, which is really another thing that's really impressive for this show because television has been widely considered a very writer's medium. And now we have this show with a very distinct visual style that directors have been using and cinematographers have been using on the show very consistently and to different points. So we get ideas of subjectivity in remembering Will or imagining what Will's last phone call was about. But then we backtrack, well, sorry, not backtrack, but then we go forward and we have that Colin Sweeney episode where Alicia's trying to remember everything that happened at that really weird party. And we're doing it too. Well, we have the benefit of a DVR that we can rewind or something. She doesn't. And it's just using those memory pops in a fun, different way, as opposed to figuring out how I felt at that particular point. So it's just super impressive that the show, again, even in five seasons, has found new life in its own visual language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, jumping off of that, Noel, I think something that I have noticed, especially in this season, and it it probably did happen before, but I feel like it was used a lot in this season, was filming the uh, characters straight on um, from from the theoretical point of view of another character. Um, It's something that happened repeatedly in last night's finale. It happened in this fifth season premiere as well. Um, The Kings, the scripts that they pen tend to use this... uh, this visual language that you're talking about um, with a little more effect because maybe they're the ones experimenting. But it's so uh, it's, it's such an interesting device uh, that the characters are literally addressing the camera head on, like directing into the camera. And then, uh, you know, the characters kind of you switch back and forth perspectives into like the 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 heads of of your of the two characters you're watching on screen and i mean what's funny you know uh matthew weiner did that for the first season for the first episode of this season of mad men and everyone was sort of writing about it and like that's great of course but it is so interesting that this thing that happened on like mad men is like a staple on cbs <laughs> And used to great effect. Like, I mean, you talk about the addressing the camera thing, and I mean, I love that. But mm-hmm. I mean, when you mention it, it's just, it brings me right back to the decision tree where Will's imagining cross-examining Alicia on the stand and she's talking to the camera and then we cut to him thinking about the reactions until we he finally puts himself into his fantasy and it's Mm -hmm. just so gut-wrenching and so much access to Will's state of mind that we hadn't had until that point in the in the show at all Mm -hmm. and it's just so good and so affecting 
and mm -hmm. it's incredibly effective. And for me, as great as all the different elements of memory and of uh, flashbacks that we get, the way that it's used in the show is wonderful. But the best part is the subjectivity of it. When we have Will remembering the scene with Alicia and uh, John Noble's character, whose name escapes me at the moment, he imagines her in a red dress where she remembers it being like a, a blue dress or something. Yeah. And we get these little like touches throughout that really cement, well, this is memory and memory is fallible. And this is probably an element of uh, what they want to be remembering and what they hope is what actually happened. And for me, the good wife is to memory as uh, the Sopranos and Buffy are to dream sequences. I don't know if another show... It's going to take a lot for another show to do memory as well as The Good Wife has shown itself capable of in this these past few seasons. Wow. I mean, that what that makes me think of is this season of True Detective, where we saw the characters relate uh, most to best effect in the secret, um, the secret fate of all life, which I think is the fifth episode, where you see the characters relate something um, to the investigators that is not like explicitly not what happened when you like go back and look at it. But, th but that's, I, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. The subjectivity to, um, of the good wife. I mean, it's so interesting that I, I mean, what I keep referring to is it's so interesting that it invites comparisons with these shows when literally it is on between the amazing race and the mentalist. <laughs> Well, and the other thing about it that I really appreciate more than, say, even the way it, that was used in True Detective this season, which I enjoyed True Detective quite a bit, but in True Detective, it's very obvious. It's they like underlined it. They, they tell the cops in the present day one thing, and then they directly show these characters doing something completely different. On The Good Wife, if you're not paying attention, you're not going to notice that the dress is another color. You're not going to notice some of these other elements. There's a trust that the Kings and the show have of the audience that I really appreciate. And that really helps the, the multiple viewing experience as well. Mm -hmm. Well, we should, we're already halfway through our time and we haven't talked about some of the specifics of the season. And I just, I gotta go there. How do we feel about however many episodes it is since the, the death of will and how the show has handled that. I'm amazed that as much as even just you guys talking about some of these will-heavy episodes, how much of a pang I'm still getting. But I'm also amazed <laughs> that the show has recovered really well. I would love to have Will on the show if Josh Charles hadn't wanted to leave. That would have been awesome. But I don't know that I'm actively missing him, and that's impressive. Uh, Noel, you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, sure. No, um, it's so weird because I... I came back to review that episode. I was, I had just gotten off basically a flight from Seattle. So I was severely jet lagged and didn't know that was coming. So I was just so exhausted and emotionally unprepared because that was also the same week that died on Hannibal. And I was just so tired and drained. And just to have that happen, I was just gut-wrenched when it happened and but I'm kind of with you Kate in the sense that I miss Will and I miss Josh Charles's energy because he bought so much the role but I don't I feel like the show's done such a really nice job of addressing that sense of loss between Alicia Kalinda and Diane that it feels lived in that it feels 
it's not ignoring the ramifications of Will's death in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's why we both miss him, but at the same time, we don't, because the show's working through the loss for us while we're watching it. And I think that gives us also some sense of little senses of closure as well, that we're seeing their lives continue, even if they're still carrying that weight of him being gone, particularly Alicia, obviously, and that episode where she had the day off the day off and she was on maybe going on a date with Nestor Carbonell and was just like, who am I being faithful to? And it's just one of those really nice moments where, again, the show's just letting us live in that and still having to move on. And I think that's why we miss him, but we're also okay with it on some level, but I could be totally wrong. Sonia may have a different take on it. <laughs> well, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Um, I, I do miss Will, um, but I don't, I don't know if I, I, I think I watch the show a little differently from, um, from other fans in that, you know, I'm sort of a, I'm sort of a, a terrible shipping person. Um, and Will and Alicia's relationship really got me invested in the show, um, over the course of the second season, which I watched a little bit more casually. Um, and then by the time that that sort of came together, I was like, well, now I have to watch the third season and the fourth season and so on. And there's obviously, there's obviously many other fantastic elements of the show, but even in the, in the reviews, I write the, the nightly reviews. Um, I found myself, you know, taking apart this relationship between these two people and specifically what Will meant to Alicia, um, because that was such a big part of her character that didn't quite fit with everything else, that there was this, like, this person in her life that was a friend and a lover and a mentor who, you know, she, she, she was always struggling with how she was supposed to feel about Will. Um, so in that sense, I miss him. I think he was he was a great dynamic force on the show. Um, and I especially think the arc of episodes leading up to his entirely unexpected death um, were fantastic. Like some of the best work that Josh Charles has done on the show and maybe some of the best episodes the show has done. Like I think, you know, sort of starting with hitting the fan, you mentioned the decision tree. Noel, that's another great episode. A Few Words is maybe, like, one of my favorite episodes of all time of this show. Um, and they're, they're just, like, they, like, get into it, you know? They, they get into the dynamic between these two people in this fantastic way. Um, and now he's gone. And I, I get that that's going to be, you know, insane for Alicia to deal with. But I don't quite have the same zeal for, uh, I mean, for 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 the show as, as I did before. It's, it's a little off. I guess that's probably a terrible thing to say on the good wife section of this podcast, but <laughs> it's been a little hard for me, I guess. Well, it was legitimately traumatizing though, I mean, at least for me. And you know, as this will be a slightly different experience for us and for people, the kind of people who probably listen to a weekly one to two hour long podcast about television. Cause we watch a lot 
of TV and we we've seen a lot of TV and so we kind of know the rules and one of the rules is that if your show isn't a show that kills people you don't kill people and if you're right. going to kill people you let the audience know right. with the music with a very special episode it came out of nowhere and you know, it's, it's something we talk about in the Televerse all the time. Shows kind of teach you how to watch them, you know, what to expect, what to prioritize. And this was so completely out of the blue that it was traumatizing, not just because Will died and because of how uh, well it was handled by the writers and the directors and the performers. And it was done so well and kept such a secret. But I was warning not just the loss of Will and the Will-Alicia relationship, but the loss of what the show was. Because mm -hmm. it couldn't be the same show anymore. So I was, like, mourning the elevator scenes that we're never going to get again. Uh, it, was, it was a traumatizing week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it didn't really sink in for me either until Alicia found out, um, which I think is, like, a very, uh, a very good wife thing to happen. That I, you know, watched this episode... Um, I often watch things on a little bit of a tape delay because Sunday nights are busy for me. So I had it DVR'd, but all of a sudden my Twitter feed like blew up with all of these people who I didn't know watched The Good Wife all of a sudden talking about something that happened on The Good Wife. And I was like, oh my God, like nothing really happens on this show like that, <laughs> like that big, like something really bad must have happened. And then I watched it and like by that point, no one is good at keeping a secret on the internet. So by that point, I'd sort of gathered, it still comes out of nowhere in the episode. I was like, wait, is it going to happen now? No. Is it going to happen now? No. Okay. When is it? Oh, okay. Oh, they're literally just going to end it like that. Like that was like my response to that whole thing. And then, you know, I, I don't know. It, the episode ends right as, as you guys know already, right as Alicia's answering the phone, um, to, from Kalinda, which I was just like, that was what I was waiting for. I was waiting for the, 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 the drop, the, the, that, that like gut wrenching feeling. Um, and it didn't happen until the next week. And that was when I, I had that feeling of, oh my God, it's the end of an era. <laughs> it's the, it's the end of like this sort of saga that unfortunately never really it never really had its moment and that's the worst like that's the it's a it's a serious tragedy and and the, sh the show was not afraid of making it like a tragedy well, I kept waiting for the show to undo it I was yes. like yeah I know what you're saying show but that's not how you work and I know that you know that it's gonna be like a body swap thing or like when they when it's Diane and Kalinda looking at the body, I was just waiting for like the, the crash cards to come in and, and then it'll all be fine. And, and then it doesn't happen. Right. And right. Uh, you feel so superior. I mean, it's easy to get detached and feel like, Oh, I know what's coming next. And then a lot of the shows that I watch for the televerse, like all of the network pilots, usually you're right on an episode like this. You're not. And uh, while it was very emotional and very traumatizing and very memorable, I do actually think there's been a lot on the show that has benefited from, you know, several elements of the show have really benefited from Josh Charles and Will being gone. And a big part of that is, uh, is, is Diane because all of a sudden Diane has time and she has a storyline and we're spending so much more time with her. And I think it's been one of the real strengths of the back part of the season. Mm -hmm. No, totally. Um, I mean, Christine Baranski just does amazing, amazing work on the show. I mean, any woman who can laugh without opening her mouth. 
<laughs> is a national treasure. Any woman who can wear that statement jewelry of chain necklaces or dragonfly brooches, mm-hmm, it's just mm-hmm. like she's fierce and powerful. And I mean, she's just she she talks about having Will's ghost in her, basically. And you start seeing her just like digging in because this is a woman who, let's remember, keeps getting pushed out of her own firm <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> through the course of the show because like will try to push her out in season one she thought will and Derek bond were trying to push her out in season two they successfully got her out in season four and i mean so this is she's hanging on to this firm that she's built with will and with let's not forget jonas stern and it's just one of those things where she's desperately trying to keep it together but she just can't but she's not letting it beat her down either at the same time She's finding strengths and reserves that she didn't know she had. She's finding it within Kalinda, which is great. Mm-hmm. And it's just been a really nice arc for Diane since Will's death. I mean, every, all three of the women in Will's life have benefited character building and narratively wise from his death in really productive ways. And it's been great. It's been really, really great. The other part of this last part of the season that I've particularly enjoyed has been the introduction of Finn Polmar. And I was I was so leery, so leery when they're introducing a new, theoretically, like the new Will, like the male of a roughly the same age and height and all that <laughs> stuff, and uh, into the show just as they're taking out Will or, you know, any other show would have just been like, look... Sexy times with Alicia, go. <laughs> but instead, they build up this wonderful platonic friendship. And that's been a theme I've really enjoyed this year. In And in, in even just starting in the fall of television, my favorite relationships on TV right now are all platonic relationships, you know, and... <laughs> And the development of that character has been a real surprise for me. I was so leery. So, Sonia, were you leery on that, or was that just me? About Finn Polmar? About, yeah, and and about the show introducing another character like that right as they were taking Will out. Oh, I'm not, I mean, as I said, I'm a terrible person. I'm like, oh, so that's the next love interest. That was, like, my immediate, like, and I was like, yeah, okay, like, that's fine. I mean, I don't even, it doesn't even bother me, because on some level, I think that, something that you guys you guys are talking about Diane and something i think that's very interesting about the show's kind of demographics right now um as phil uh, finn finn Pulmar is sort of still a, a a relatively peripheral character even though matthew good is now a series regular is that the show is like made for like i mean at the risk of i don't want to stereotype either of you but i think that like their target audience is sort of like women and like men who appreciate fierce women so maybe like gay men too do you know what i mean and i don't mean this in a i really don't mean this in a bad way but like look like look at the show it's like christine baranski it's archie punjabi it's juliana margulies like and you know and then there's like one or two cute guys that are mostly just cute guys like at this point i think it's fascinating um but i mean i think the show i mean i think that's something that the show kind of lacked after will died was a sense of just you know, Peter is uh, Peter is a great character who I like cannot support at all. Like I ne- I can't root for him in any capacity. So the show like really needed another dude you could kind of root for to like be a dude or whatever. Um, and it kind of it kind of pulled Finn Polmar into that role, and I think it works. I I think it's funny that you think it's platonic, Kate. <laughs> like, 
I'm like, this is going to be a love interest, like, in 25 seconds. But, you know. Well, yeah, I, but, I mean, for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, insofar as anything in this show is platonic. Yeah. Um, I would uh, compare it to, like, an Abby and Ichabod situation where I expect that to become a love interest situation next season or the season after. But mm-hmm. for right now, I'm enjoying, you know. And especially because you get that contrast between Alicia and Peter, where Peter assumes she has to be sleeping with Finn because that's who Peter is. That's not who Alicia is. Well, and my my sort of platonic power couple of the season was Alicia and Carrie, who Mm -hmm. I never thought would be romantically involved with each other. And some of that is there's an age difference, but they also just like they were uh, they were sort of like calculating partners, you know, and they like. And, and, and I think that the, this whole season has been about their partnership, like their, uh, corporate partnership and, you know, sort of their personal partnership too. And then this last episode kind of blew that up. Um, and I think that's also like really interesting and speaks, Kate, to sort of your investment in the platonic relationships. I was surprised how invested I was in Alicia and Carrie. Um, that I didn't realize until they started yelling at each other in the street outside their office. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> like this is this, I can't deal with this. This is too hard. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Well, they do describe themselves as the new uh, Will and Diane mm-hmm. and as, as wonderful as, and as strong of allies as those two have been for each other over the course of the series, they've also had their dust ups as well. So I think, I mean, I was not surprised to see that. And I think it's been handled really well. Uh, Noel, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. And then before we go, we do have to talk about, talking about Carrie just brings me to the unfortunate, I'm curious if it's just me, but the really unfortunate decision to, to go there with Carrie and Kalinda why is there always one plot line on this show that is not working at all at any given time? It's much of the show. Usually it's a Kalinda love interest. It just doesn't yep. work at all. And yet yep. and I'll give it to them because the rest of the show is so consistent. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll just go out on this limb here and say that I'm okay with the Carrie and Kalinda relationship. The, the mm-hmm. chemistry-free Carrie. I mean, come on. Hey, I don't think it's chemistry. I don't think it's chemistry-free either. I think there's oodles of chemistry between the mm-hmm. two of them. Not when they're in bed, though. No, not when they're in bed. But I think when they're not in bed, it's great. I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> I think part of it with the most recent thing was the power dynamics of that last scene in the finale, of that scene with them in the finale was all kind of weird and topsy-turvy and Carrie's mind space was in a very different place than it typically is. Um, so, but no, I've always been okay with them as this kind of on again, off again couple, just because I just, I think to, as Sonia was agreeing, I think that there's just a lot of like magnetism between the two of them. And I think Kalinda kind of maybe sees this, admittedly very white bread looking guy as someone that she can maybe just eventually be herself around maybe just maybe that there's this person that she can be herself again around that she hasn't been for seasons upon seasons since Alicia found out that she slept with Peter and so I've always I've always been okay with that and it was it spoke to how invested I am in Carrie because I'm Carrie is actually my favorite character on the show, and Aww. I feel like the season hasn't really given him a lot to do. Mm-hmm. So to give him so much to do in this one episode was just a joy to me to watch him deal with Alicia's 
ups and downs and then deal with not the mortification of finding out that a Kalinda was using, because I think he was smart enough to know that that was happening, but for all of his colleagues to find out Mm -hmm. about that, that Mm -hmm. that was where he went. That was why he just feels so mixed up and confused and angry about everything. And that's where he is in that scene where he just ends up trying to dominate Kalinda, which is something that never, ever happens to Kalinda. No one mm-hmm. dominates her. And that's, she feels threatened by that, hence wanting to, threatening to hurt him in return. And it's just one of those things where it was so good to see that finally play out for me that I was just like you, Kate, and you, Sonia. I was just like, oh my God, I was having all of the feels and all of the emotions. <laughs> watching Carrie deal with this and then Carrie deal with that and then Carrie going to Lewis. And I'm just like, ah, <laughs> yeah so no I, i'm just yeah it was it was rough for me as being carrie being my favorite character on the show well you know and i know that i think that the i think you you talking close to a point that i had been thinking about which is that i don't think uh i don't think the show always knows what to do with kalinda you know yeah, i no, think that no, I, i'm totally on the sh- the show has never known what to do with kalinda boat exactly been, exactly yeah. I mean, and I, she, which is sort of too bad because she's such a great character, um, or, or she's such a novel character, but yeah. in, in some ways, the fact that she is sort of so, um, she, she's so different from everyone else, she's very, they seem very attached to the boundaries they've drawn around her character. She hasn't grown or changed in the last five years, you know, um, she is, there are things in her life that have happened. Um, I think that her friendship with Alicia is one of, still one of the best things the show ever did, including it's falling apart, which I think was sort of inevitable for both characters. But since then, she hasn't felt vital and she hasn't felt like, uh, like she's even really connected to the rest of the story. Um, I'm I'm sort of interested in this thing with Carrie because she and Carrie have had this chemistry for a while and it does seem like, you know, maybe maybe they could sort of find a a way to be together. Um, but for some reason they're also writing in this betrayal of hers, and I, I still don't really know why she does things like that. And I feel like I should know, given that like Kalinda is the reason I started watching The Good Wife. So I don't I, I don't know. I, I mean I, uh, according to Robert King, who was live tweeting last night's finale, uh, Matt Zucker is going to have a, a bigger part next year, which is good news for you, Noel. So I think that, right. <laughs> so I think that that could like open up a little more, but I also, I just want Kalinda to have something to do more than just being someone's literally than to being someone's bisexual and leather clad, like, attack dog like I would love I would love to see her with like a story about something she's passionate about there was a brief moment in the finale where I thought she was going to be Diane's like Eli like Diane's political operative and I was like Wait, that would be fantastic right I was like that would be so cool like that would be a whole story for her you would see her like that loyalty that's such a big part of her character would be channeled in this totally different way um, and yeah, I don't think they're gonna, they're not gonna do that, which is like really disappointing. I was like really excited about that. So I don't, I don't know. Um, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, 
I a lot of a lot of uh, the commenters on my uh, on my reviews for the AV Club were like, "How is this not an A an A plus an A season or an A episode?" And usually it's because the Kalinda storyline like never works for me, um, and that's like it's disappointing. I think even in the Last Call, which is arguably one of the best episodes the show has made, um, and one of the best episodes about grieving, you know, on television. Um, the Kalinda storyline is is jarring enough that it kind of broke the spell for me. So I don't know. One of the things that has me most excited about uh, it seems like a foregone conclusion. Diane is going to join Flora Gagos. Um, mm-hmm. Is the fact that she will undoubtedly bring Kalinda with her. And then Kalinda and Alicia will have to spend time together, and maybe they'll be buddies again. Unless Alicia's running for state's attorney. Which, right. Yeah, let's talk about that briefly here. I am completely uninterested in that. You guys? Oh, I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I am. I'm in. I'm really intrigued by where this could go. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I because I think. The reason I'm excited about it is not because I'm excited about watching another state's attorney or like an election plot line, um, although I can see that being interesting, um, but because I really like the idea of pitting Alicia, of sort of putting Alicia into Peter's role, kind of, like the one that he had, and sort of making it into something that's her and not him. Um, because she has for so long defined herself as the political wife. And I am so excited by the idea of her being the politician this time. I guess the only thing that has me concerned about it, and, and I'm sure the show will do it well, and it should give uh, particularly another problem spot for the show, of course, as far as I'm concerned, is Eli. Because it's another time where they, they know they have a great actor and a great character. And then whenever they... I was okay with American Ferrer, but whenever they try to give him a love interest, it just mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't work for me. Anyway, so this will give Eli more to do as well, which will be a good thing. But I just... I, I really enjoy Alicia in that setting at Flor Gagos. And so I guess I guess I just don't want to lose that, mm-hmm. you know, having so recently got it. I mean, I look forward to the, the board meetings, the partner meetings with Diane and Carrie and Alicia all together. And if she's running for state's attorney, I don't know that we'll get those. Mm-hmm. In those offices with no doors and no walls. (laughs) No, I I mean, it's true. I I think there's also some possibility, though, that Alicia might be, like, kind of working for the firm while she's running. Mm -hmm. Then I imagine the show is going to want to play with the, like, complicated dynamics of Alicia now going against all of these people that she cared about. Yeah. Um, I, you know... I, I can see, I can like, I can see it. I can see why they did it. I can, it's like totally up their alley with like the, ooh, things are so complicated. Relationships, they're never what you thought they would be. But like, I, you know, I, I totally see your point, which is that I would love for them all to like, you know, just be in a club together and like become mystery solving teens and like rule the world. But and drink martinis. Right, and drink martinis. But the thing is, like, Alicia doesn't want that. Like, I think that, I think that, like, I want that, and, like, Diane wants that, and Kalinda kind of wants that. But, like, Alicia's always, like, she's always, like, perpendicular. You know, she's always kind of going off in some other unexpected direction. And I think the other thing with the state's attorney thing is that it becomes yet another choice that Alicia has, because so much of 
what Alicia has done up to basically the end of season four has been denying herself to make a choice. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, she didn't have a choice about getting back into the law because that it was her only skill. Mm -hmm. So she had to do that when Peter went into prison to support her family and support Mm -hmm. herself. She denied herself that idea of getting together with Will for so long, and then she finally made that choice and then had to make the choice to cut it off again. And it's just one of these things where she gets away from Will by making yet another choice, and now she's faced with this choice about, well, what is this part of my life going to be now? Because she's dissatisfied with her life right now with the way it is. She doesn't want to be a lawyer anymore. She doesn't know what she wants, I think. On some level, she's not sure. And mm-hmm. suddenly, here's this wide-open possibility that she's always kind of laughed at, but at the same time, is something totally different, and something that would be, as Sonia alluded to, her own, very much in the same way that Florg Agos wasn't totally her own. Like, she was there, she was willing to do it, but she did it for different reasons. Mm-hmm. From Carrie and Carrie and all the others. It was for a different reason. And I think that's where, if she ends up doing it, because I'm still convinced that at, at the very base level, Alicia's going to look at Eli and say, that was the dumbest idea that's ever come out of your mouth. <laughs> and But at the same time, it's going to get those gears turning, and this could be something that is hers. And I think that would be the reason that she would end up doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think she will, or the show wouldn't have brought it up, or at least, like you said, it'll inspire something else. But yeah. but and here's and here's the, th- the main thing: the kings have earned my trust. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, any uh, final thoughts on uh, season five of The Good Wife? Um, you know, I think that this. So I'll I'll go back to the theory that I like alluded to very briefly at the beginning. I have a feeling that, like, The Good Wife, you know, they're making a big play for the Emmy nominations this year. Um, they sent out these very snarky for your considerations that, um, I don't, I mean, which it sounds like you see, no, that sort yes. of, you know, call them. attention, call attention to the fact that they've produced twice as many episodes as every other show on television. And so they should be, you know, uh, taken more seriously, which I think is perfectly reasonable. Um, I have a feeling that if The Good Wife doesn't make a major play at the Emmys this year, that we might begin to start seeing the end of the show. Just because I don't think that, you know, the ratings have actually been dropping. Um, and I, I sort of feel like, I, just that I, I don't see the kings as showrunners that would want to beat an idea to death. Um, I think they would want to have some control over how the thing ended. Um so yeah, I don't know. I, I have this like I have this like premonition that could be totally wrong. But what that means is that if you are interested in the show, you should probably catch up on it sooner rather than later. Um, and you know, if you're an Emmy voter, you should vote for it. <laughs> uh, Noel, any final thoughts? Um, I think in the most internet-y way possible, I think the best question to ask about Good Wife season five is the best season of television or the best season of television? (laughs) Um, No, I think season five has just been a shock of greatness that even I think as a long-term fan of the show that I don't think that 
if you talk to me in season three or even halfway through season four that the show would be this bold, I would have been like, maybe. But now I'm just like, it can do anything. And I I totally believe that. And that's, I think, been the biggest gift of season five has been that this is a show that is going to be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. now and I think that's really really exciting on a whole number of levels and I think the one last thing is I just like saying the name Finn Polmar <laughs> it's the best name it's a great name it's a season that gave us Finn Polmar it's a season that gave us Thicky Trick oh, it's a season that Thicky gave us uh, the NSA so much goodness on The Good Wife this season and uh, like you guys have said if you are interested in good TV, you should be watching The Good Wife because it's fantastic. Uh, thank you, Noel. Thank you, Sonia, so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Oh, um, you can find me at the AV Club, and I'm also on Twitter at Sonia Soraya. Um, I'm at TV.com, and I'm on Twitter far too often at Noel, N-O-E-L-R-K. Thank you again so much for coming on, guys, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.